0: It's the Dearly Departed podcast featuring your host, historian Scott Michaels and filmmaker Mike Dorsey. All right, it is Dearly Departed Podcast. It is episode 34. And uh, I'm Mike Dorsey.
1: I'm Scott Michaels.
0: And if you're watching the video version, you know what this is about already because Scott is wearing his Helter Skelter (laughs) shirt. (laughs) The true tour. The Helter Skelter tour. Um, We are going to be talking about the original Helter Skelter, the Helter Skelter made-for-TV movie from 1976 that was based off of uh, Vincent Bugliosi's book of the same title, The Helter Skelter Book, uh, one of the most famous true crime novels ever written
1: i think it's still the probably the number one ever sold ever and probably the most famous but yeah right. yeah all of those things
0: yeah so uh, obviously this is an area we love to talk about uh we talked about it before cuz we did our whole uh, episode on once upon a time in hollywood um and you know Scott and I if you don't know I'm sure you do we did the uh the movie, the documentary the 6 degrees of helter skelter on the mansons um which by the way BuzzFeed's, buzzfeed readers ranked it the fourth scariest documentary ever made
1: scary interesting yes oh, you know that you know brandon uh brandon's music really really complimented that documentary it did. so very much and uh, yeah, so I I can see where there's some really when we were going up to Barker Ranch, that's right. People were really kind of chilled by that, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Well, I, that's that's neat that it has longevity like and
0: that. And the the walk up the Cielo Drive at night, and the home video footage, and the crime scene photos. Yeah, um, pretty. D- I remember it was like early days of uh, social media when that came out, and I remember seeing a post by like a teenager saying that they were watched, that basically that they watched our movie is like the horror movie of the night to scare each other with. Basically it was really like what I used to do with my friends when I was in high school, we would watch horror movies to scare the girls. So, and, That's... Uh, and, and ourselves, <laughs> <laughs>
1: the, um, it's funny how people say, Oh, I watched it. I, I, can, I mean, I can't watch a documentary more than once. And, and I get, and <laughs> I, I, I get, you know, letters or, or as I say, notes from people saying, I watch it, you know, probably three times a month. I turn it on to go to sleep too. I, Uh, it's like that's really cool that it has a cult following um you have
0: such a soothing voice scott that even when you're talking about mass murder it just puts people in the calm people to sleep it puts people to sleep (laughs) oh my god it's so hot you need need to do what's that uh what's the sleeping app phone sex (laughs) the sleep app that helps you like go to sleep and like celebrities read stories
1: Oh, I've never talk. heard that one.
0: The uh, The Calm app that has, oh, like, Calm- celebrities. Really? Yeah, it's, like, calming music, but then it's, like, celebrities read stuff. Uh, Harry Styles has done it. Uh, Matthew just, McConaughey, <laughs> Jake Gyllenhaal. Who? Oh, <laughs> Matthew oh. McConaughey and Jake Gyllenhaal have all done, like, have done Calm app readings. So we could do the Scott Michaels one where you, like, read calming stories about death and
1: you know, Murder. <laughs> reading is really difficult to do. You know, it really is hard to do when you're doing it because you. you anytime you stumble, you can't repeat mm-hmm. yourself. You can't go and or um. Every time you, you know, you, your mouth makes a whistle noise or something, that's it. You got to redo it. And, you know, I read, I listen to audio books and they're like 14 hours long. That is no, no. after an hour. I can't
0: imagine. <laughs> and, and a lot of times they're narrated by like the author and I'm like, God, that must have taken so long. Because yeah. when you work with – I've worked with professional actors in the VO booth and they're amazing. Like they – one take, they will nail it every time, one to two takes. Yeah. I mean and they, they could read an entire page and not mess up one time. And you're like, how – I can't get more than two sentences out right it's, it's
1: it's hard work and you're it's exhausting it sounds so mm-hmm. you know but but when you're reading you're just reading for an hour that is really it's exhausting it is i'm not saying it's right. hard work as in physical labor but there is a physical toll and you just doing these i mean i'm ready to pass out after we do our, our, our podcast <laughs> you know, hours? yeah i mean it's it's engaging it's fun but it's it's a it's, it's tiresome you know it, it takes a lot of audio
0: and you were a radio dj but you used to be able to play songs you would only have to talk for a couple minutes at a time right and then here's yeah. music for 10 minutes and news
1: you know but news mm-hmm. was nothing commercials so, and yeah yep. and people screw up on the radio all the time so it doesn't matter <laughs> but cuz <'cause> it's throwaway <laughs> but yeah 14 hour memorializing a 14 hour story uh is really is really something. i'm re- yeah. i'm doing one right now on the on the Hartford circus fire and uh, oh, the, wow. your, that thing had where all the 160 some people died in a fire, and while well, they went to see the circus. I wow. mean, that is that is a mental story, and they they go crazy about they crazy in depth about the condition of the bodies and stuff. It's been mm-hmm. very very interesting, very very interesting.
0: So we did the six degrees of six degrees of helter skelter, and um, Scott, you were accredited consultant on Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which was also on this story um and then you've contributed to at least one book on the 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 manson murders right
1: several i think you know they quoted me yeah i was on i worked on those uh, the aquarius show that david the manson show that one that they did was uh there was a really good mini series the the myth of helter skelter that was on reels a couple of years ago it was like four nights um, so uh, you know this this documentary has really given you know me longevity in that regard sure. uh, of a uh, Manson. It's just uh, it's weird to become a person that is considered you mm-hmm. know some kind of uh, uh, I, I don't even like the term expert, but you know what I mean. A focal point where people come for information, and sure. it's it's very odd to uh, to everything always goes there. Like our like our podcasts always go there because it's our interest. Right. Right. It's, um, but yeah, so I've been I've been lucky.
0: So, somewhat at least, uh, experts on the the case. Uh, pay one of us even paid expert on the case with you, Scott. So um, that's why we wanted to dive into this, and of course, it's always interested us. Um, but before we get into it, well, first of all, an announcement: uh, we have moved uh, our our location, our podcast home. We were on Podbean for the first like three and a half years. And we just this week moved over to Spreaker, which is under iHeartRadio, and they're a really great service. And so now we will have um, some ads, but not not too many. We don't want to flood people with ads, but there will be a few ads, um, like beginning and end, and like in the middle, like at some point in the middle, there's there's an ad. So, um, so anyways, we're really excited to be on Spreaker.
1: Yeah, no it's moving up and I they they seem like really like they'll be uh actively, you know, putting it in a rotation. So it's neat that more people will be able to hear this.
0: Yeah, they um they reached out to us. So mm-hmm. that's nice. And they were really helpful in helping us move over. So thank you speaker. Um we had some interesting uh before we get into hate mail, we have some good mail. Yes. Tell me. Uh, uh, first of all, on um, Tisa, I think that's how you pronounce the name, on our Patreon page, wanted to know if we'd heard about Gwen Shamblin and Joe Lara, who played Tarzan at one point. Um, they were a married couple, and she had this um, – some people refer to it as a, a cult, um, but like a, it was like a weight loss group or organization that was based on like the Bible lessons of the Bible to help you lose weight, kind of, and um, they died. <laughs> I guess if
1: you're going to be in a, a weight loss cult, it may as well be that one. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, wow. So uh,
0: <laughs> um, so, uh, uh, so, they died, and uh, her and her husband died tragically in a plane crash last year, a private jet crash into a lake right after takeoff um and so there's an hbo i think like a mini series or something documentary series maybe coming out about it called the way down which i think is what her book was called um i'm really excited maybe it's out now i don't know but i'm really excited because when that story happened it was one of those like kind of oh wow this is the, the more you look at it the more bizarre it got kind of a story you know
1: In in what sense is it bizarre because of the people or th- is there something about the crash itself that made it get weirder and weirder
0: it wasn't the crash itself that was weird. It was like, oh, the, you know, the, an actor who played Tarzan died in a plane crash. That's okay. Well, that's kind of a yeah. uh, celebrity. A celebrity dies in a plane crash. That's weird yeah. on its own right. But they, uh, just the fact that then it was like, oh, and his wife was this, kind of, had this kind of cult thing going on with the weight loss. And there was a bunch of church people that were on, or, or church leaders in her group that were on this flight that went down. It just was all, it just add an extra layer of intrigue uh, to the, the whole Which story.
1: Tarzan was he?
0: Um, so he was actually, uh, it was Joe Lara, and he was tar, uh, the Tarzan in the series Tarzan The Epic Adventures, which was in the 90s for like a couple of years. Okay. Or a year. It was uh, one season. He was <laughs> Tarzan for one season. Um, so it's apparently, it uh, was about the character of Tarzan in his early years, um, after his first exposure to civilization, before his marriage to Jane.
1: Oh, they got married. I guess they did. That's
0: nice. Well, wow, so, that's anyways, interesting.
1: Well, because yeah. when you said that, now it, it I I went straight back to what I thought the Tarzan death was going to be. And uh it was this Ron Eli. We talked about it on one of our one of our other podcasts of, of you know current one of the Patreon ones with the current obituaries. But Ron Eli was a Tarzan who was murdered, he was shot to death by his son. And um 30-year-old son of Tarzan was called justifiable homicide after he had fatally stabbed his mother. And then shot his father and killed him.
0: Holy cow. So that
1: was, yeah, that was, uh, that was, uh, just 19 or 2019, October. I think
0: we've uncovered a Tarzan curse.
1: Maybe so. Maybe so. Uh, although I can't think of another. I don't know.
0: (laughs) uh, Who else was Tarzan? Weissmuller?
1: Wise smaller Then there was uh, Buster Crab. I think it was oh, Buster yeah. And then Miles be. O'Keefe, who did it with Bo Derek in the uh, in the eighty in the seventies or eighties. Mm. And uh, I'm sure there are many, many more. But uh, but yeah, that was um, that was something. But yeah, so plane crash, Tarzan, and interesting. Yeah. Well, thanks for the tip.
0: So, thanks for the tip, Tisa. Uh, Sorry, and I think that's how I pronounce your name, but I'm sorry if I got it wrong. Uh, Douglas also sent us an email, um, which was pertinent to the subject matter of today's show. Uh, He said um, he was about to start reading The Family by Ed Sanders and wanted to ask if there's any other Manson-related books to recommend. And I asked you and then you sent me a picture of like 50 books on your bookshelf that are all. Manson yeah, I know,
1: dude, There's like two <laughs> bookshelves. Yeah. But I would say, um, really, I would. There was um, there's a lot of there's a lot of books that that focus on the theories. Yeah. You know, and, and we know like the race war thing was a, just a small part, really, of what was going on. It was just what the yeah. OC used to to prosecute the case and more power to him. But I, I, I like the ones that give you more background on the people themselves. And my friend, uh, Greg King, he wrote a book called uh, Sharon Tate and the Manson Murders. And it's hard to get, but it was really good. I, I mean, it mm. was it just went into the depth about, about the people. I read the yeah. Jeff, um, Jeff Ginn Manson biography, and that was the one where I, I, when I read that, it was like, oh, I can see how somebody, he had the odds stacked up against him from minute one. You know, he was, mm-hmm. when I said it. I said he was just bad from the beginning, and I, I now "bad" is a, a term I don't I don't necessarily like using when it comes to you know just well, wiping people away. But uh, but he yeah. had this, the odds stacked against him, um, and uh, the Tom O'Neill book that everyone goes on about the Chaos book I I got about a third of the way into it and I lost interest. It was he put together some very interesting theories, but I got really bored with his uh, with his Buliosi bashing.
0: And, did you um, feel like it was like he was conspiracy and that stuff, or you just didn't like that it was very all bashy of B- Bugliosi?
1: You know, I was exhausted by how he was really going for Buliosi, and yeah. that ruined a lot of it for me. Uh, yeah. That I was just like, here we go again. Okay, we know. We know you don't like him, and this is <laughs> what he did. And it concentrated so much on Buliosi's personal life, and it's like it's supposed to be about. Every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. So right. I got I got bored with it. But I'll tell you, I got some really interesting pieces out of that that, that changed the way I thought about the crimes. It definitely um, has
0: its fans. Like, I see people talking oh, yeah. about it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Now, the other books that are – like, the books that are written by the people, the Tex Watson book, Will You Die For Me? I like that one. Susan Atkins did one called Child of Satan, Child of God, which – kind of sucked, but her last version of it called (laughs) The Myth of Helter Skelter made some things seriously click in my head. The Myth Mm. of Helter Skelter, Susan Atkins' last book. You might even be able to download that for free on her website. Mrs. LaBianca wrote a book. The first Mrs. LaBianca wrote a book about Lino LaBianca, which is like this thick. And I'm like, sorry, it's not that that interesting of a guy. (laughs) Paul Watkins, part of the family, wrote a book. That new chick, Snake, wrote a book. Uh, I didn't bother reading that one. The squeaky book I read, that was a bit technical. There's so many books by... There's so many books. The the Ed Sanders one was the second one I ever read, and it was like the storybook version of Helter Skelter. So there's some really good ones. The Family by yeah. Ed Sanders, which was reissued as Sharon Tate something a couple of years ago. But uh, I would say the Susan Atkins book... Um, The the myth of Helter Skelter and Tex Watson's book is a very interesting book. Uh, uh, Will you die for me? And I think you can download that for free on his website too. Oh, his prison ministry. So those would I I would recommend, Hmm. and I will always recommend Helter Skelter. And people, I get so much crap for that for recommending that book, but but people people are you know people take Buliosi to task for things he did in his life. And they talk about this myth of Helter Skelter, like the whole thing's a myth. And the book Helter Skelter is the truth of the trial. You could take that book and analyze everything that, that really happened. Now, this other stuff you want to talk about, race, war, business, okay, that's incidental. How, not really, because that's how we got the prosecution. But if you want to sit in the book like I did with a highlighter the second time I read it, it happened at this address at this time, and this is what they found, and this who was there, and this, right. is, the, this is the witness, and this is who heard the screams, and this is who, and this is when when the funerals were and it's a technical book a dissection of the trunk of the crimes and the truth of the trial so i will i will defend him because he did what he had to do but i I always describe it as sort of like mama mia you know he took they took all these ABBA songs and <laughs> wove it in together to a plot of a to of make a weak story movie. that they could right. tell
0: to make sense out of it one of my favorite lines from the movie and I, i'm going to paraphrase it but it was from helter skelter film was um he basically Bugliosi tells it's something in the effect of he he kind of berates the law enforcement officers on the case. Mm-hmm. And yeah. basically is like you, you essentially he's like you keep looking for conventional explanations for a non conventional uh, yeah. <laughs> crime. <laughs> yeah. I, no, you, you gotta right. look like, for the crazy. A, I wrote that you quote have down. to look for the crazy explanation. Yeah. It's a crazy crime. Yeah. I thought that was really great. And like, oh, it's a drug killing. It has to it's just a drug murder. He's like, no, it's just, it's weirder than that.
1: Yeah. yeah. So it does, he he can criticize a lot, but he did his job, yeah. And um, yeah, they would say Manson was innocent. Well, a lot of people say that, but you know he had he didn't have technically blood on his hands with those seven people, but he did try to kill others, and he did participate in another. So there's yeah. And he, yeah. Did,
0: and, he and he and he tied up the Labiancas.
1: Yeah, so there, his, you know, he was not, he he wasn't some wide-eyed person who just said no, you know. Did he tell people to kill him? Probably not, you know. But he made quite clear what he want. You know what to do. You take this knife and you know what to do. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a fine line between telling someone exactly and then implying, you know, basically. But uh, yeah, right. it's uh, bizarre. But I, like I guess said, but Mr. Buliosi, I will, I have a lot of respect for him and you know as a human being i don't know i i met him several times he's very nice to me i met his wife several times she was very nice to me and uh and he got the job done so
0: yeah that's my other p- favorite part of the movie is when they're at the uh, they're talking to the judge like at the they're having like a conference with the judge and he 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 uh, he corrects manson's defense attorney it's like it's bugliosi the g is silent <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah
1: and a lot of people don't will still do that yeah i sometimes
0: oh, say bugliosi so yeah i, I get it <laughs> I was laughing at myself. I think more than anything else.
1: Yeah, the haters call him the bug. The well, they actually did. The killers called him that too. The bug. Uh, so um, they still do. The people that hate him call him bug.
0: Mm. Bug. Yeah. Oh, the bug. I get it. Yeah. Hey, it's Boole. Get it right. <laughs> um so anyways thank you douglas for uh recommend, or for asking us that question and thank you Scott oh and i also want
1: to just a, a nod to uh to another uh person who watches or listens to us ron powers he's the guy that uh, suggested we go through all the helter skelter movies and talk about them mm-hmm. and that's what sort of brought this one up so uh so ron awesome. powers thanks for suggesting this
0: yeah thank you ron um okay uh did you get any hate mail any good ones hate
1: mail
0: you know most of them
1: are pretty pretty lousy but there are there was one about the the jane man or, well gene mansfield and the uh james dean video that we did uh you're supposedly some kind of tour guide expert yet you don't know whose cars those are in the most famous photo of james dean ever taken how embarrassing you need to brush on your homework brush up on your own. i don't know bubba with the mangy beard i don't know if that was stupid but what i'm I, embarrassed what, for
0: you scott yeah you know,
1: how dare you how dare you not be an expert on everything in the background of your of your videos <laughs> <laughs> but I, there's that one video that i put up about uh, you know the jane mansfield car and i took my camera and i went through every inch of the interiors of Which the car you, you, for me.
0: people who don't know you own the car that jane mansfield died in Right. Outside New Orleans. S- yes. And I
1: took video of the insides video. No one also ever see anywhere else in the world. You know, this is, this is the car and people, you know, criticize a lot of it and that's fine, whatever. But somebody wrote, I'm sure Mariska Hargate is mortified that you have the car. There are rules. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I would be thrilled if Mariska Hargitay was watching one of my videos.
1: There are rules, Mike. Didn't you get the There book? are
0: rules. We break all of them. All these unspoken rules. We're the, rule, we're the unspoken rule breakers.
1: That's funny. It's funny how Come people... On, there's,
0: there's social norms, Scott.
1: And so many people do, you know, they really... James Dean killed himself by traveling too fast as, like... You know, no, no, he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just, it's it, it just, you can't reason with people, and and just diving into the comment is so stupid. I mean, I was listening to it was it Joe Rogan or somebody like that who was just saying, "Don't, don't, why, why do I want that? Why do I want to expose myself to that?" Yeah, yeah it does nothing but make you feel terrible, and uh, and it's true, it's true. <laughs> Sometimes. Um. Well, <laughs> we don't
0: feel terrible about our hate mail when it's creative.
1: No, no. Oh well, I'll tell you this in a second anyway so that's it the end the end the end
0: the end okay hold on a second i'm gonna pause for a second all right so we uh get into the main feature
1: the main feature
0: helter skelter is coming down it's time for the main feature here's a
1: piece of trivia for you mike before we even start my birthday is on August 18th, okay? Yes. So, I'm, I'm turning 60 on August 18th.
0: Oh, wow. I,
1: I know, right? Right. So, I share my birthday with Roman Polanski and Vincent Bugliosi. Wow. Isn't that cool? Isn't that wild? That also means
0: that Roman Polanski and Buliosi share a birthday, which on its own was kind of wild. But you, yeah. on top of that, Scott Michaels, the biggest Manson expert I know.
1: Expert. Expert. Expert, yes. <laughs> It's just a fun bit of trivia. A fun bit of trivia. That's amazing. It is weird. Well, very weird.
0: Um, so *Helter Skelter* was a TV movie. Uh, that was a, uh, over three hours long. That was broken up into two different nights. Uh, in 1976, it aired on, on back-to-back nights, uh, April 1st and April 2nd of 1976. Uh, as we already said, it was based on Bugliosi's, uh *The Prosecutor*'s book. At the time that it aired, it was the highest-rated made for tv movie ever that it ever aired it pulled like a 60% share on its second mm-hmm. night which is insane um and i think it was surpassed by roots the following year but at, and up till 1976 it was the biggest tv movie ever made uh and it was nominated for 3 emmys for music directing and editing and it focused it primarily on the investigation into the crimes and then the prosecution mm-hmm. which i thought was really interesting
1: mhm yeah. yeah i i did see yeah because i, I I watched it when the first when it aired. I mean, this is this is the movie that that kind of turned me on to the whole thing Uh, because they because Steve Railsback, his his Manson was pretty, pretty terrifying. And, you know, there's just those I know I noticed at one point, you know, he he does the crazy stare, you know, just a dead stare. (laughs) And I remember, I noticed one time that it was like a still frame that they didn't, they just showed him, you know, and it, it, oh, really? it was just a still frame. Yeah. But those long <laughs> gazes and those, those terrifying eyes. And I remember that scene when I was a kid that when that came out and then when I found out that Manson is going to be eligible for parole, I was a little kid in Detroit, and scared Manson was going to come out <laughs> crawling up the side of my house, you know, because they made uh, him into such a terrifying creature. And I remember vividly being there and seeing that one scene in the courtroom where he looks at Buliosi and his watch stops, and uh, and that, that was that was uh, terrifying. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was a, a really scary, scary bit.
0: Um, it's funny how you know at the end they did they they did like that whole thing at the end where they let the audience know that 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 after they were sentenced, you know, California overturned the death penalty. And then they did the whole, Ooh, scary. They could be out in two years thing. Uh, you know, role. of course, you know, most of them uh, have died or will die in prison. Manson certainly did in the end. Um, Texas is never getting out. Unlikely any of the other girls will get out. Clem the only them. one connected to anything that's ever, that's gotten out. And I think that's Clem is it. And he's changed think, his name. Uh, and Yeah. Lives up-
1: yeah. Cause another one, Bruce Davis just, Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, Clem changed his name and moved up to like the Pacific Northwest or Northern California. And he plays music
1: and... live. You can go see him.
0: Yeah, if you if you know if you know you can you can find the the bar he plays in. Yeah, um, for a time I thought it was wild. He was in prison with Beausoleil. or with um, Beausoleil. They were in the same prison together, and they did. There's a recording, a recording of them playing music together. It's really actually interesting with Beausoleil's prison band. Wild. Um, Look it up, it's really it's on like YouTube or streaming on somewhere, but i have heard it a few times. It's really interesting
1: um I got a good a prison story about manson, um, okay this is my friend michael Michael channels is the quote pen pal you know he's the one that's not battling, but they're in court arguing over manson's estate, you know the the intellectual property et cetera manson's grandson quote unquote uh Jason Freeman and michael my friend are, uh, are, you know, going through this in court. And I think, uh, well, anyway, uh, so Michael's visited Manson several times in prison. He's not a Manson fan, but mm-hmm. he was really attracted to the story and, uh, and became friends with them. It's, it's a little complicated, but anyway, he went to visit him one time in prison and, uh, and he's, uh, he was, he was sitting in the room, wherever it is that you, you sit and talk on the other side of the table with Manson. And uh, he started. Something came up, and he mentioned something about uh, I think it was Bobby Kennedy or something like that. And and I think I think it was because Michael says uh, that guy looks really familiar. And Manson says, "Oh, you might know him." He says, "Hey, Sirhan, come on over here." No. <laughs> and Michael's like, "Yeah." So Sirhan Sirhan comes over and and you know gets introduced to to Michael by Charles Manson. It's just like the most insane story. So, wow, um, yeah, I'm actually going up to l a on Monday to interview him uh to talk for the channel because he's got some insane stories
0: not sirhan sirhan
1: no no, <laughs> no no, 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 okay. no, this is Michael is a trip My, Michael to meet him, I was shocked that I would ever be friends with him, but uh because don't judge a book by its cover i I should know that, but uh. Sure. After Manson died, I was sort of now that, now that all that stress and all that weird "Oh, business is gone uh, I could actually meet him and and have it we became friends, so I'm, I'm, I'm interested cool. to see this how this goes so anyway, and there's one other thing I wanted to touch on uh, about the book. The book was written by, it's Bugliosi, basically, his story, but it was written by Kurt Gentry. And that's a <laughs> name that's always associated with the book. But I, I was always like, oh, who's Kurt Gentry? You know, even in, just until this, I didn't even bother looking him up, you know. But he I guess he's just like a ghostwriter uh, for this <laughs> book. And he wrote uh, the true story of the U2 spy incident, the Madams of San Francisco, and uh, the Killer Mountains, the search for the legendary lost Dutchman. Mine. Oh so, interesting. Um, in Arizona. Yeah. Oh, so fascinating. He had he had a obviously he had a genre that he liked. Mm-hmm. And uh and he I think Helter Skelter made him a very wealthy man because he co-produced the movie too. Mm-hmm. And he died in uh in July of two thousand fourteen in San Francisco. You have seventy six, Kurt Kurt Gentry.
0: And and Buliosi was a became a prolific crime writer in his own right, yeah. not just helter skelter He wrote about the OJ trial, he wrote about um you know bush and the invasion of iraq he wrote about the kennedy assassination which is one of his uh kennedy assassination books was uh also adapted into a film the parkland movie in 2013 about you know parkland memorial hospital where kennedy was taken yeah. when he was shot um was also that so book he's was, had at least two books of his turned into movies tv shows
1: that kennedy book was it was it had to be like that thing. and no pictures.
0: <laughs> no. That's what I heard. I heard it was like sixteen hundred pages.
1: It like... was. It was a long. Book. Did you read it? I, no, I I, <laughs> I I flicked through it. But he just basically addressed every single conspiracy theory right. and stayed with the Lee Harvey Oswald theory. That's mm-hmm. the, or, or you know however the prosecution or it wasn't ever prosecuted, but you know the, the, stayed yeah. with the official Warren Commission uh, a story. And he took every single. You know, conspiracy, and just dissected it, and uh so I did read some of it, but I couldn't get, mm-hmm. I couldn't. I'm not that hard. Well, caught. and
0: then I think what he did because it was so dang long was that uh, he, he released like a shorter version of the book later, and that's what got adapted into the Parkland film yeah. nine years ago. So, um let's get into the film. Let's talk about it. Let's just let's just have a chat. <laughs> um, let's chat. <laughs> so I noticed, uh, uh, obviously, they couldn't film at the actual Spawn Ranch because the Spawn Ranch had burned down mm-hmm. years before they filmed this. Even though this film, you know, was released in '76, which is just seven years after the the murders, which means it was filmed probably six years after the murders. Uh, the Spawn Movie Ranch, where the Mansons, you know, hung out and lived for a, a lot of this, uh, had burned down in a, a wildfire in 1970. So, um, I don't know where they film, what movie ranch they filmed at, but there's other movie ranches all around Southern California that are like spawn. So, yeah,
1: they said it was, um, it was, uh, it may have been even the Paramount ranch that they built it on. That would make sense. I, um, and it was in the same neighborhood. I mean, they, they did a really good job of, choosing locations, you know, there were really, well, totally. the Tate house, I, I, I would, I did a dive and I couldn't find where that was, the house that they used for the Tate house. When they said that, uh, the newspaper reporters were retracing the steps of the killers, you know, and they said, well, turn left mm-hmm. on Elysian. And I was looking up Elysian in Beverly Hills. I couldn't like, find it's not there. Elysian park is in another part of LA. So right. I couldn't locate that house. Uh, and I'm sure someone will probably mention it in the comments uh at some point and i hope so because i'd love to see it i'd love to see the house um
0: the one location that was real that stood out to me was the la bianca house yeah, yeah. and i thought that was impressive because they actually not only did they film on the street but it looked like they actually filmed on on the property like outside they the house like on in the, driveway. the
1: house they did, they did they go in the house? house they went through the kitchen into the living room i i oh. I, I, th- I froze it and i went to the crime scene photos and i look. i matched cabinets i matched the doorways Unbelievable. and they went in the house that was shocking to me so they so they got in that's very well you know when the video version of this i'll 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 put those uh, photographs in there or you can add them to wherever you can add them but sure, uh, yeah no that's uh, it is, great. i couldn't believe it inside so when they i know where lena Labianca's body was and and where it was positioned in the house and they went straight to it there's a new wow. picture hanging where the old picture was and yeah, was, that was really something
0: so, a great uh, one of the things I love about movies like this, especially when it's a made for TV movie and it's, you know, the budgets are lower. Um, it, it there is more of a documentary aspect of it. Um, you get more uh, live views of real LA streets with regular people living their lives. It's kind of a it becomes a snapshot of 1975 Los Angeles, mm-hmm. in addition to it being, you know, a period piece about 1969 Los Angeles. So, um, I don't know I love watching it just for those to see those little, you know, locations and streets pop up like that.
1: yeah yeah they you know even when when the show de la bianca driving around with the uh with the boat you know they right. th- they stopped at that corner where the library is in los Feliz. and according to the book *Helter skelter the book the the newsstand was on the corner where the chevron station is where they at, you know they bought the newspaper mr to i to mr and mrs la bianca on their way home to be murdered bought a newspaper <laughs> and the headline right. was sharon tate was killed And they they always said it was in front of that Chevron station. But as it was illustrated in the document to this movie, it was on the other side of the street where the library is now. So I'm not, you know, they did a pretty good job with, you know, going to straight locations. So I'm sort of surprised by that. But uh, if it is in a different place, why they said it was across from the gas station. But then Bugliosi did get some facts really wrong in the book. He he got, you know, he fudged around with some of the, uh, some of the, just, you know, there, there are nuances, not necessarily mm. important, but there were, there were some things that were not not necessarily correct.
0: Do you remember any specific things that jump out?
1: Yeah. Well, the Stephen Weiss, who found the gun uh, yeah. on the hillside, who they because They changed they his sp-
0: name, and they changed the yeah. name of that character in the movie, which I thought was to interesting. To
1: Quint, yeah, Stephen Quint. Right. And I interviewed him. And he, you know, he's like, I never watched Dragnet because they said the little boy who watched Dragnet, you know, had uh, made sure not to watch, put his fingerprints on. He goes, I didn't know anything about fingerprints. I did not know where that Dragnet <laughs> thing came from. I don't know. Somebody taught me, my uncle taught me how to shoot like a month before and I knew how to handle a gun and it wasn't, mm. you know, how to handle a gun properly. And right, so it thing. wasn't anything about fingerprints or I don't even, he said, I don't even know where that came from. The kid watched Dragnet. So there were certain things. I'm not saying Bugliosi did it. Probably Kurt Gentry did it to make it mm-hmm. sound more interesting. But that, sure. that, is, that is one thing that, uh, that was wrong. Not, not important, but it's one of those pop culture references that, I, that stuck with me. And when mm-hmm. I was able to ask the kid himself, you know, he's like, no, that never happened. <laughs> you know?
0: So when he found uh, Tex Watson's gun in his backyard that they'd thrown off the hill... Yeah. Having no idea they'd thrown into someone's backyard, probably. Uh, He's not saying I knew how to handle it like evidence. He's just saying I knew how to safely handle a gun by not without it, you know, to make sure it didn't go off. Right. You know, I didn't walk around with my finger on the trigger. That's that kind of thing. Right. He just handled it like, you know,
1: like this and with the gun in his hand. So, so, Yeah. Yeah. And he was the 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 way he laid it out. He's like, well, you know, there we were on these hills all the time. You know, there was a hill behind the house that went up to Beverly Glen, probably about fifty feet up. And he says we were yeah. always scrambling those hills. There were toys all over those hills, you know. I'm and he sure. says, but I I found the gun. And it's like, you no, know, I I knew I knew it was the real thing. I knew right away it wasn't a, a fake gun. But then he, he told me that um when you know because it was his dad that made the call to the police department saying I think you have the gun and they hung up on him and and uh, yeah. And he said that we threw it in the ocean. I think he said his father told him. And so it was his father that really turned the gun in. And on September 1st, three weeks after the murders, they had it up until December, I think, before they realized they actually had it in their custody already. Right. And when they were going to make the movie, I guess they asked Stephen Weiss's family, mother and father, to be in the movie. And uh, they didn't want to be in it. So the, their neighbors, actually, like two doors down, that play their the parents in the movie which makes sense because they filmed on location they filmed the real hillside but the house i was trying trying to match it up and uh, i could tell that they were in front of a house that was a couple of doors down so they must have used the neighbor's house who were actors and uh that played mr and mrs White. amazing
0: yeah it's so a good that's story not their backyard that's in the movie but it is the same hillside just two houses down
1: i think they may have shot the like the the they might have shot some of it like the, the the him handing over the gun to the police officer maybe in front of their house yeah but for sure the neighbors that were in the movie it was their house a couple of doors down that makes sense now because i was trying to place it by the yeah. google earth the other night ha-
0: having been there with you it did jump out at me i was like that looks very much like the spot
1: yeah yeah, because I, I could there see a house in the later. hill that was the real deal. So, But mm-hmm. it was an in- important piece of evidence that they didn't even know they had for w- months. And uh, and they were publishing pictures of this gun saying, be on the lookout for this gun. I mean, like everyone in the country is <laughs> looking for this gun. And it, they, they had, the police had it in their possession. I mean, it it's was crazy. Amazing. It's
0: amazing. And they're yeah. down the street from the murder scene. I don't understand. But, you know, that was one thing that surprised me with Bugliosi being, you know, a um, – being a prosecutor, obviously being involved in law enforcement, highly critical of the police for sure there was no uh covering up of their uh what a, which is what really a interesting they did initially
1: because of this because of that stupid dragnet thing, they made it sound like the police were inept in that regard because they say the police officer picked up the gun, put their hands all over it, <laughs> not realizing how important it could be, but it was really. You know, it, it's not that wasn't the case. It wasn't because the kid was so careful of of uh, the finger, fingerprints. You know, it wasn't right. that way. Although the police officer maybe should have been more careful, but uh, but yeah, you're right. They did. I mean, the kid the bloody button on the intercom. Hey, there's blood on this, and he <laughs> and he pushes the button anyway. You know, uh, that was it's, hilarious.
0: Uh... <laughs> that was so funny. That was look dumb, blood yeah. on this. Boop. <laughs> 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 Let me smear my fingerprint in the middle of it
1: sad well, I wish, oh man yeah there were some really kind of comical moments in this movie uh and we we're yeah. talking about that house that house looked like it was a park or something didn't it i mean were, when you really look, concentrate on the tate house and that you know they show the exterior when they're walking around it looks like this massive park with a road in it and stuff like that so yeah. I, I didn't really um didn't really i had a hard time trying to place that place but uh but yeah they did
0: a good job though finding a house of similar style even yeah. if it was a big two story place, much bigger than the actual house, it was still at least the right look and, and yeah. they Yeah, hard to find. I mean, as you know from Tarantino, having to find something like that. <laughs> Very yeah. hard to find something that has all the, the the long driveway, the electric gate, a house that looks that way, you know, tough. Yeah. In the hills. Um speaking of goofs, uh before we get into like the actors and, and everybody in it, um, they're at twenty and about twenty three and a half minutes into the movie, I sent you this, Scott. There is uh, this, the shot when the Mansons are being um, arrested at Spawn Ranch. There's this big, long, I think it starts off as like a zoom, and they're kind of in tight, and they pull way back, and they show every, the crowd of people and police officers, and Mansons in the middle of it. And as they finish, and as they're pulling back, I, I'm a big, I can spot things really easily in films, like when the boom mic is in the shot or when there's lights or a crew member or something. And as it's pulling back, I just got a feeling. I'm like we're going to see something we're not supposed to and sure enough <laughs> when it was done pulling back on the right side of the frame there's in full view there was a crew member with a big holding up a big stand that has I think a big light gel on it uh, and he's kinda of steadying it with his hands um while they do this shot and they clearly I don't know because they were shooting in T V format, they just thought, Oh, well this isn't widescreen, he'll be out of the shot, he'll be off the, the side yeah. he's not. It's very clear very clear. Um I'll put a I'll put a screenshot of it up. Yeah. In video it's version. funny because
1: I showed that to Troy. I mean, I saw right radio and Troy's like, I don't see it. And I said, No, you see the guy, you can see his arms and you can see his hat, he's wearing a hat and he's like, yeah. No, I don't see it. So it <laughs> it's your eye that caught it and I'm looking at it, it's yeah. like, No, you're absolutely I can see it, but it's easy to miss. You're probably the only one's ever spotted it.
0: <laughs> I might be, yeah. Yeah, I hope so, man. I love spotting stuff like that. I see boom mics all the time now, boom mics and shots constantly.
1: The shadows, um, yeah, yeah.
0: One time, I think it was an episode of Suits. Maybe there was like one of these walk and talk scenes. What they call walk and talk, the actors are walking and talking, and so the camera's moving through this lobby, and they pan <laughs> the camera coasts right past in the background. I think it's like the audio guys, like their like their little video village. <laughs> it's like clearly. Oh, funny. Right there with two guys sitting at it, and the camera goes right by them. <laughs> it's like, wow! That's how did they not notice?
1: Oh yeah, the the, <laughs> the best blooper of all. We talked about this before. Was seeing uh seeing a Billy Wilder in the reflection of Gloria Swanson's glasses in Sunset mm. Boulevard. You know, seeing the yeah. crew sitting there filming, which was, was a magical uh, a magical you know boo boo or whatever you call him, blooper. Right. it. Blooper it's cool. So yeah, I love that. But and, you're you have, and with that yeah. movie,
0: it's so great. It's almost intentional.
1: Yes, you know exactly. Yeah, that was yeah. that was something else.
0: Um. All right. Well, uh, do you want to get into the people that are in the movie and made the movie?
1: So before we get into the actors, I, w- I just wanted to talk about the music really quick. So they the cover versions of Helder Skelter, of the Beatles, Piggies yeah. and Revolution, mm-hmm. uh, they were covered by a band called Silver Spoon. And I was, I, I, and I was trying to find information on the band Silver Spoon, and there's so little. And somebody, somebody wrote, Oh, they're like one of the best, you know, unknown bands of the sixties. And I could, what? I was like, I, or the seventies. I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. But anyway, there was Rick Green on drums, Michael Kennedy on lead guitar and uh, vocals on Peggy, Stephen on bass, Joey Hamilton on vocals. Uh, so yeah, there, there was this band called Silver Spoon. Now, the incidental music, the score was done by Billy Goldenberg who worked on Alias Smith and Jones-Columbo duel, uh, played against Sam Kojak in Around the World in 80 Days. So he's got – he has quite a a, – you know, they're both – a very you know significant career as a a sc- huh. you know, scoring movies, but uh, it's it's just kind of cool because that there's another one with the crazy strings that we you know when when certain things happen in the movie that are kind of spooky uh, you know th- th- obviously score is very important and and mm-hmm. Billy Goldberg did a good job with that.
0: Well, and uh, and Duel has another great famous movie goof with reflection crew reflection in it. Uh, That's very famous. Oh, I
1: I think you mentioned that. Yeah, yeah. it's the
0: I believe it's the when the phone booth gets run over when he's in the phone booth and then he has to get out of it because the truck smashes the phone booth. I think there's a moment there where you can see Spielberg, I think, in the reflection of the glass of the phone booth.
1: You know, thinking about that, do you think that could have been his sort of Hitchcock thing? Could be, (laughs) you know, I I definitely
0: noticed it. He's a stickler for details. So maybe he he just didn't notice it and they didn't have another shot. And he's just like, ah, nobody will care.
1: Because he was but maybe he, he knew Hitchcock, didn't he? Or he, he he observed Hitchcock when he snuck on the Universal lot, something like that. And, yeah, I don't uh, know. Yeah, it was something that I think he had. To, I think he tried to meet Hitchcock, or he was watching him film mm-hmm. something on Universal. Uh, and I know so that he, be, he was
0: also a, he was a big fan of uh, Truffaut. Um, oh yeah, and that's by part of why Truffaut was in uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, um, which we will be mentioning again in a few minutes.
1: Yes, 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 yes.
0: Um. So you want to talk about the cast and crew?
1: Sure.
0: I just really have cast and director. Okay. Um, But Tom Grise, uh, which is how you pronounce it. Some people think it's Grease or Grease. It's Grise. Tom Grise was the director. Um, And he had a long, long, long career. And unfortunately, this was kind of the end of his career uh, Mm -hmm. and the end of his life. Uh, He started out in television in the 50s and uh, and won two Emmys. And he did theatrical films and TV movies. He kind of bounced back and forth between them. And uh, he's probably best known for the Charlton Heston Western Will Penny, uh from 1968, mm-hmm. which, which Tom Gr- Grise wrote and directed. And, uh, and when Heston wanted to do it, they wanted to bring on a big time director because Gr- Grise had basically only done B-movies up to this point. And Grise pulled one of those great moves that you hear about in you know, Hollywood history a lot. When a f- director finally kind of breaks out, he put his foot down and said, no, I'm only doing this if I direct it. I'm not just going to sell the screenplay Mm -hmm. and Heston backed him and that got the movie made as a result of that. And Heston apparently called that movie, will Penny uh, his favorite film that he was ever in. He Hmm. never regretted for a moment. And he worked with Grise, I think on a couple more projects after that. Okay. That was kind of interesting. But yeah, Helter Skelter was the second to last thing he ever directed.
1: How long did he live after that?
0: He died the following year. He died nine months almost exactly after Helter Skelter aired on television. Hmm. He, his last film, uh, which he didn't finish, was called The Greatest. It was about Muhammad Ali, with Ali starring as himself. And um, he died. Uh, they, they'd finished filming the movie about a month before he died. And they were in post-production on it. And Grise had a heart attack while playing tennis at a club in the Pacific Palisades. Isn't that crazy? And I think it's it interesting because one of the early scenes in Helter Skelter is, of course, Polanski's manager showing up at the scene to identify the bodies. And he's dressed yeah. in a tennis outfit because that's what he yeah. was doing when yeah. woman grabbed him. And that's how Grise died, was playing tennis. Uh, he was only 54 years old when he died.
1: The woman who played uh, Winifred Chapman, who was billed only as the housekeeper, her name was Dorothy Meyer. And she was in Ali, uh, The Greatest as well. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. Which uh, so so, and she's like the first actress to really be in the movie. I mean, that was her. her, She was the opening, and (laughs) when she's screaming murder, that was chilling too. I remember that vividly when that seeing that for the first time uh, was you know her her screaming after she found the bodies and uh and that's yeah you know, she she made her career basically being housekeepers and uh nurses <laughs> she was a model for a while doing uh mm. like maxwell house and hallmark and and things like that and she did a ton like a, a lot of these people i mean i looked up a lot of these people yeah. and i was like okay jeffersons one day at a time you know what i mean it was like they're, they're all in manix colombo yeah everyone, almost everyone was in Love all boat. of these shows and she was <laughs> one who was in a ton of them the jefferson sanford and son different strokes Lou grant starsky and hutch so she did all those so she was she did a um she you know she was a significant featured extra mostly i think She died on September twenty fourth, nineteen eighty seven. She was sixty two years old. So, no. Was there some
0: creative? Was there some creative license taken with her uh, when she gets dropped off by the car? Didn't she walk up to the house from the bus stop, or was she given a ride? No,
1: you know that's something that I. It was a. She got dropped off at the bus stop. And then somebody mm-hmm. saw her and offered her a ride. Now, I don't know how far up she went. But, yeah, that's mm-hmm. what we had in Six Degrees. That's another thing I'd like to modify because you learn more stuff all the time. Oh, So sure, I don't yeah. know how far they made it up. They just dropped her off at the bottom of Cielo. I don't know. But she did. She was given a lift, you know, because that's, that's several. That's a couple miles from the bus stop to, right. to the Tate House. It's a walk. And, yeah. So yeah. Um, so, yeah, she was, uh, and Mrs. Chapman, yeah, she. there's somebody I want to know more about. That's <laughs> Mrs. Chapman, yeah.
0: So, um, getting back to The Greatest, the Ollie mm-hmm. movie that he made that, that he didn't finish um, while he was alive, uh, the song The Greatest Love of All was written for that movie and was originally sung by George Benson in the movie, but then, of course, Whitney Houston covered it and turned it into, you know, a classic
1: that was like in the, one the in the in the greatest movie
0: yes the greatest love of all song was written for the greatest yep but it was sung was by it? george benson
1: so so the greatest love is referring to i mean it must have been written for the song for the movie so maybe was he married or something or was it
0: maybe i don't know what's yeah i don't know what's the part of his story it covers maybe it's, or yeah. it's the love of boxing i don't know yeah um Another interesting thing that I thought about, um, about this that's going to blow some people's minds about uh, 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 Tom Grise is his son is actor John Grise. And John Grise is most famous for playing Uncle Rico in Napoleon Dynamite. Okay. And John Grise's first film role as a child was as a child actor in the Charlton Heston movie, Will, Will Penny, okay. his dad's movie. And... John Grise plays William Gerritsen in Helter Skelter. Uncle Rico <laughs> was William Gerritsen.
1: He's a skinny little guy, too. That's a great, that is great. That is great. <laughs> I had no idea
0: I was watching Uncle Rico when I saw that William Gerritsen scenes in the beginning.
1: And he would have been, what, well, you know, I think he's he would have been about 18, 19 at that point, I Probably, think. Probably, yeah. And, uh, yeah, that was that I, I'll admit I found that too. And I was like, Oh my God, I didn't know the, I didn't know the director <laughs> association that one I didn't know, but I was, yeah. uh but that, yeah, that was a, that was a piece of trivia that was like, Holy shit. So yeah. Uncle Rico plays William Gerritson <sighs> in Helter Skelter. That's great. Um,
0: and Clem Grogan is played by an, what well, was played by someone named Steve Grise. And I do know that it, when I found Tom Grise's obituary, they mentioned, you know, Next of Canyon, who survived by, and there and there is a son named Stephen Grise in his obituary. So I think Clem Grogan was another one of Tom Grise's sons. Uh, and that was his only IMDb credit was playing Clem Grogan in Helter Skelter. But yeah, he put his kids in the movie. I thought that was cool.
1: It is cool. I do it.
0: Heck oh, yeah, I think that's awesome. <laughs> so yeah, so uh Tom Grise, the director, uh died on uh, January third, nineteen seventy seven, almost exactly nine months to the day after uh Helter Skelter aired on television. He was only fifty four years old, uh dropped dead from a heart attack, and uh paramedics were unable to save him and he was declared dead at the hospital in Santa Monica. Hmm.
1: R. I. P. So, great movie. R I P. Yeah, yeah and Great, great I mean, movies. Great movies. Yeah, I mean
0: not a lot of really high profile movies that he made, but he made a lot of them and he did a lot of television work too. So he he's one of those kind of journeyman type directors, I think. Mm-hmm. Um George Disinzo, who played Vincent Bugliosi, the prosecutor. Um probably most famous for playing Martin McFly's grandfather in Back to the Future, who hits him with the car, and there's that funny dinner scene when they're watching it was the honeymooners I think, or what are they watching on TV? And Marty McFly says something, makes a reference to John F. Kennedy Boulevard or Parkway. And, and this actor, George DeCenzo goes, who the hell is John F. Kennedy?
1: Oh, funny. <laughs> Cause it's, it's,
0: it's, you know, 1954 <laughs> or five or whatever. Yeah.
1: Hilarious. He's another guy that you like we talked about, Paul Sorvino in our uh in our you know Patreon uh sponsored uh sponsored, mm-hmm. you know, uh podcast that we just released. And uh he's another one that I expected to see a list of credits, a thousand you know, a thousand credits, because I recognize his face. Now it must be sure. from this movie because his his credits were you know, he was in close encounters. We, we that was probably gonna come out. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, the exorcist three and 18 again, but that's not that significant. Mm-hmm. You know, those aren't right. like amazing. I mean, close encounters is a classic back to the future. Of course is a classic, but the rest of them are kind of like throwaway movies.
0: Yeah. And close encounters of the third kind. He, he it's a bit part. He only has a few lines. He, the, his, I think his real big scene or maybe his only scene is about a quarter of the way in there's a press conference that they have that like the mm-hmm. military and government has to kind of, uh, debunk. These all these rumors that flying saucers are flying around and um, he's the uh, lieutenant like the military lieutenant there and he holds up a picture of a flying saucer and all the people there go that's what I saw that's what I saw and he go and then he pulls up this pewter metal plate and says it's you know my kids threw this up in the air and I took a picture of it you know mm-hmm. like it's mm-hmm. not you know it's nothing uh, that was kind of his big moment in Close Encounters their kind which was um, which was a year after Helter Skelter. Oh, was um, it? And then Yeah. And then he um so he looks a lot the same in, in Close Encounters as he does in Helter Skelter. Uh he also was the star of the nineties crime series Equal Justice that ran for two seasons, ninety and ninety one, um, which also had a, a young Sarah Jessica Parker in it before she right before she blew up.
1: Okay. Sarah Jurassica um, Parker. Sarah Jurassic <laughs>
0: Um but uh George DeCenzo died on August ninth, two thousand ten. He was seventy and it was sepsis.
1: Sepsis. Died on the anniversary of the crimes.
0: So the real Bulioci outlived the fake Bulioci by five years. Mm-hmm. Um, Steve Railsback, who plays Charles Manson, and I think was the focus of a lot of the, um, you know, like the the, uh, the accolades that the show got, was his portrayal of of Manson was really creepy mm-hmm. and convincing. Um, he is still alive and still working. Uh, mostly, he's done B movies um a lot of you know bit parts in some tv shows like the mentalist and decker um but that's kind of got, got kind of got stuck in the b-movie world
1: yeah yeah but rob zombie found him for the devil's rejects oh really yeah yeah yeah.
0: oh i didn't know that
1: and he was in the hitcher 2 uh but uh-huh. but helter skelter was his was only his third movie you know well, he was he he and he'll always be known for that. I mean, I've met him a couple of times at those autographs. He's a really, you know, soft spoken, nice guy. You know, yeah. He just, uh, but, and, and doesn't he he it's funny when this movie came out when we when i first started studying this movie in depth or or the case in depth um i always thought that his character was kind of a hokey manson you know and then the 2014 version of helter skelter came out and i thought that guy had manson's mannerisms down but then i'm watching this again it's like no he was he was really good he looked it and he acted it and uh maybe manson was a little bit more he played him solely seriously, you know, solely yeah. seriously. And Manson had a had a, a, a wild sense of humor, you know. He'd, he'd stick his tongue out at people and make make wisecracks yeah. to the press. So, <laughs> you know, he wasn't always that intense, but but that's the, they were trying to, you know, that's the portrayal. That's what they wanted from him. So it was good, very good.
0: Um, Nancy Wolfe, who played Susan Atkins, is also still alive and also has done kind of a lot of you know b movies indie movies stuff like that i really couldn't find much else about her
1: right Um, i think you know what i think i looked her up and i think she has her own website nancy wolf was good you know she was a really mm -hmm. she was a there was there were some questionable performances in this movie you know that don't stand the movie yes but nancy wolf who played uh um susan atkins i thought she was really good at Mm -hmm. uh at being susan atkins and uh and i looked her up she's got her own website nancywolfactor.com but uh she was in uh the the ordeal of patty hurst and she's in of course barney barnaby jones Beretta, and um and uh lots of lots of theater but uh but yeah so she's still around and she's still acting but she was she was very very good i thought in this movie and uh you know it was questionable in this movie, and we're—I don't know if we're going to get onto that. Well, we will eventually. May as well do it now. When they showed her uh, being arrested and having to, um, well, going into prison, into the Civil Brand Woman's Prison, and palling up to who they—they they was was Ronnie Howard, uh, who in reality was Virginia Graham, who was the one that she first spoke to and told the who whole you thing know, about who the you story. Knew. Yeah, yeah, Virginia was a friend who just passed away. But she was, so Ronnie Howard, it's kind of complicated, but Virginia knew the story, but she's not going to be a snitch. So she tells her friend, Ronnie, you hook up with the Susan Atkins woman, and you get the story, and you can tell the story and get the reward. And yeah, so she was. So, would they show her, uh, palling up to this woman who's, uh, clearly a lesbian in, in prison yeah. who wants to, you know, he's like, come on over here, honey, kind of stuff like that. Yeah, right. And then she goes, and then, and then she says, and then we killed those people. And I, you know, and then she like, like, I have to go to sleep now. It was that abrupt. I mean, it's like you're sexy, you're sexy, and then you know, and then we kill those people. I'm so tired. <laughs> I gotta go to sleep. Yeah, <laughs> but, <laughs> but here's the fun bit. Her name, the actress who played Ronnie Howard, her name is Sandra Blake, who was who was married and had a son and daughter with Robert Blake. What <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that wild? So yeah, Jeez. she's another one. Mannix, you know, a show called Grown Ups of Mice and Men. Not not a huge list of credits. But yeah. she was married and had two kids with Robert Blake.
0: And wait, and who was that that was married? To Sandra Robert?
1: Blake, who played uh, who played Ronnie Howard, who was in prison with Susan the Atkins,
0: the jailhouse snitch. Yes. Character. yes. Who
1: they show her, like, you know, trying to be all discreet. I know who did it, but she's, you know, she didn't turn to the wall and say, I know who did it. She's like, oh, well, also, when camera. she's like
0: walking, she's walking in the line of girls and she hangs back and, t- and starts talking to the, the correctional woman, yeah. officer woman, right, like right behind all these women that are prisoners. <laughs> like, nobody can see me talking to you, but yeah. it's like if anybody looks over their shoulder, they're going to see you talking to her. You're right in the middle of the hall, right <laughs> 10 feet behind them.
1: Yeah, but, they don't know. know how prisons um, work, but they, but was yeah what's wild about this movie is they went in prison they went into the halls of justice they went into the courtrooms. Yeah. i mean was they really the actual, did
0: do you know if that was actual civil brand where they filmed
1: that i don't know but it looked like a women's prison and it was not a set that i'm positive of right um and they so they did go into city hall i don't know or into uh yeah the federal building i think it's a yeah. federal building but uh halls or of or justice, halls of justice. yeah and I don't know if they got into the actual courtroom. It wouldn't surprise me if they did, but they got yeah. into a courtroom. They got into the halls. I recognized the halls and all that. You know, that mm-hmm. was that's legit. It was in there. So you know, yeah. they they were able to, to do that. Um
0: which is interesting. Um so Sybil Brand, which was the women's prison, um, it, it is no longer Operates as a prison. I think it was damaged during, I think the Northridge earthquake, it was severely damaged. I think it was Northridge. One of the earthquakes severely damaged. I think it was Northridge and they just decided they, it was already so old to begin with. And then with the damage, they decided just not to repair it, but it still exists and is used uh, almost entirely now as um, a, a, a filming location. And they, they also use it for training like police training and stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's no longer operates as a prison anymore, even though it still exists.
1: Yeah, and that's where all the girls were taken. Uh Leslie, Pat uh Krumwinkle, and Susan Ekins were all taken to Civil Brand. And uh so that's I think that's why everyone knows what it is. Same with the California Men's Colony where they took tax. That's I think that's gone now. That's been uh uh mm. you know doesn't isn't exist anymore probably for the same reason. But uh yeah.
0: Okay, um Marilyn Burns who Played uh, Linda Kasabian, that was a, obviously a huge role, and she is one of the few actors in this film where this wasn't the biggest thing they ever did.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, that surprised she, me. Yeah,
0: yeah, because she was the lead role of Sally in the Ch- Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original one. She was the final girl. Uh, who survives, you know, at the end of the movie. Um, so she was, and that was a couple years before this was, was came out. So she was kind of, you know, they shied away mainly from kind of recognizable actors. But then I thought it was interesting for that. They got, you know, at the time, probably one of the most famous horror movie actors alive. Yeah. <laughs> to play Linda Kasabian, who Linda Kasabian was the Manson girl who turned state, state's witness and testified against them. So it was a meaty part and she had to really be able to act um, to, to do it.
1: In in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, yes, <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was a meaty part.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, well, no, literally, yeah, but but I mean, and this this is one this is one of the and this this is the one I considered. And I'm no expert; I am not an actor; I couldn't do it. But this yeah. is one that that I was kind of like, that's borderline. I I I, I didn't really you, you know. weren't a fan of it. I didn't think I didn't think it was very you know convincing.
0: Um, she has uh, – she appeared in two more Chainsaw Massacre sequels. She's a, she's appeared at horror conventions. She um she gave a great interview with a horror website called The Terror Trap in 2004, and they talked about making Helter Skelter. It was great. It was a great interview. And first of all, she said that none no actresses didn't want to audition to be in this show because none of them wanted to shave their heads. So it, oh. the talk around Hollywood was no actresses wanted to audition to be Manson Girls because they're like, hell no, I'm not shaving my hair off. Um, and she says, in the end, they let the actresses wear skull caps, which I find hard to believe because it looked real.
1: I, I did a I did a real look at that too, and I did. They look real to me.
0: They did a hell of a good job if those yeah. are skull caps, because usually you can tell, especially something with a limited budget. Um, but she says that the, in order to get the part, they had to say they would shave their heads, like almost like it was a test. You know? Yeah. Okay. Because I know she didn't.
1: You? That's why I was sort of surprised.
0: And she was like, she was stoked because Linda Gasapian was the one who didn't. <laughs> She's yeah. a state's witness. Um, and then also she said, uh, and nobody really wanted to touch it because of the subject matter. It was kind of like, who wants to be in that picture? Who's going to do that picture kind of a thing? It was because it was so soon after this all happened. It was just a few years after. I think it was still kind of fresh. Uh, yeah. I think some people were afraid to do it. Um, she said, they asked her if she ever uh, got to meet the real Linda Kasabi. And she said she wouldn't have wanted to, even if she could. Um, definitely has no love for, for these girls. Although she did say that, you know, any actor, you have to find some point of entry for sympathy for the role you're playing um, to understand what they were thinking. But yeah, you can tell she didn't exactly have a high opinion of, of the Manson girls. Um, and she was attacked by an extra on the set. Really? When she, oh, here you go, Paramount Ranch. So there you go. She goes, when I was at Paramount Ranch, an extra came up to me and put her nails in my arm and said, Linda wasn't there that day. Hmm. So apparently a, a Manson, she assumed a Manson sympathizer or maybe even a member of the family. Who knows? Probably, were, you know, There's yeah. so many people that coasted in and out of it. Who knows? Um, but, but yeah, someone got on the set as an extra and came up to her and dug their nails into her arm and said Linda wasn't there that day. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Very. Um, huh. I mean, the people had so much hate for Linda Kasabian that they would go after the actress playing her, you know, for, for you know, for being a And she guy. wasn't
1: there that day. What does that even mean? I mean, that seemed that's maybe that's they're ridiculous. trying to say she
0: wasn't at the murder scene.
1: Yeah. Uh-huh. And that her Weird.
0: testimony is not was, you know, made up. Maybe that's maybe that's the implication. Yeah. I huh. don't know. Um, and then lastly, uh, they asked about Buliosi, and he said, yeah, yeah, he would come down to the set, and she claims that Buliosi wanted them to reshoot the ending, which I assume is maybe the closing argument, because um, he didn't like... The actor's performance of him in, at the end, uh, Buliosi supposedly said he was much more, that he was much more dramatic than the portrayal. Buliosi was a much more dramatic person than how he's portrayed, and he said oh. I'm much more flamboyant than that than what the guy did. So I don't know if they actually did go and reshoot the ending or if. Really, else just wanted them to? I mean, I, mean, I wonder if the budgets, ending by the ending wouldn't.
1: I wonder if they're talking about that scene in the courtroom when Manson is being, you know, that ridiculous scene at the end when Manson's being let out the back of the courtroom and they have a conversation. To, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so uh, that might be it because I, I, that some of that, some of that text is questionable too. You know, where where he's telling to Vincent how he respects him or something to that effect. Yeah. I don't, you know, and it was like uh, I'm not, I'm not on board with that one.
0: It felt a little bit like uh, like Buliosi's hagiography of the moment, yeah. you know, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. It, it felt a little bit like like how we he would need... like it like it to have unfolded, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Took a little creative license at the end. Um. So uh, Marilyn Burns, who played Linda Kasabian, uh passed away on August fifth, two thousand fourteen, uh, in her sleep. No cause was given, and she was sixty five.
1: You mentioned that she. Well, she said that uh, who would want to be? You know, people said who would want to be in that picture? When I was right. reading the book, I uh, this is a stupid, stupid story. But when I was reading the book about uh, *Helter Skelter*, they said that Rudolph Altabelli had uh, who owned the house on who Yellow Drive the where, the murders, where the murders happened. Yeah. yeah, represented Sally Kirkland was one of his clients. Now I got he was it, an agent. He was a right. agent. yeah yeah and i i did meet Sally Kirkland eventually and had this conversation with her and i think she was annoyed with me cuz she kept talking really low and i couldn't hear a fucking thing she said <laughs> but um, but uh but anyway i as i, I this is a dumb story but for some reason in my mind, I always get Sally Kirkland – or Sally Kellerman. That's who it was that he represented. I always get him screwed up. Sally Kirkland, Sally Kellerman. Sally Kirkland mm. is the, was the actress who won – or was nominated for an Academy Award for a movie called Anna. And she was in a whole bunch of things. The Sting, The Way We Were, but not a, not an A-lister. I used to see her at the Silver Spoon like all the time. So I finally got up to the nerve and I said, so yeah. did Rudolph Altabelli, you know, represent you? And she said No. I said, "Okay, well, that's I screwed up the names. And they said, well, oh, because something about Helter Skelter. And, you know, I thought that he might have because he owned the Tate House. She goes, no, no, I wanted to be in the movie and I auditioned to be in one of the girls, but I didn't make the audition. I didn't oh. get the job. And I'm thinking, well, there's a thousand girls in this movie. How could you not have gotten that <laughs> job? You know, you were nominated for an Academy Award. It's and, like if you're uh, an
0: actor in Hollywood and you haven't been in a Marvel movie yet, what are you
1: doing? Yes. So Sally Kirkland, <laughs> Kellerman, like dumb story. But I was able to uh, – and I did interview Rudolph Altabelli at one point. We talked about that before. But uh, but it's just a, a funny aside
0: um, well, and it's interesting. Now, when we, I think we talked about this when we did the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood episode, but that was years ago. Uh, you and I have both spoken with Al DiBelli before.
1: Oh, did we? I don't remember. Yes.
0: You spoke to him because um, we wanted him to be in, in our movie. We wanted him yeah. to be in the six degrees of Helter Skelter. And you tracked him down first and you called him.
1: Yeah. and uh, I sent him a letter and he called me back. Yeah. yeah okay.
0: Yeah. And yeah. do you remember how the call went?
1: Oh, yeah. I remember exactly.
0: <laughs> what? Let me, let's hear it. <laughs> well, he said, I, you
1: know, he said, I, I said, well, he says, I got your letter. I got your letter. Yeah. He had that <laughs> voice. Said, you know, what do I want to be in your, what do I be in your documentary for? And I said, well, you know, well, well you know, you give some money for your time. All we not a half hour. Just want to know your knowledge about the game. I don't need your money. What do you, I don't need your money. <laughs> this is what I'm, and they said, well, we wanted to talk about the house and Terry Melcher. I said, how'd, how'd you meet Terry Melcher? He was driving down Benedict Canyon with his cock out. <laughs> I mean that is, that is what he said to me. And I'm like, okay, so you know it's already just,
0: worth the phone call just for that little like anecdote.
1: And I did ask him because they said there was the rumor about him and William Garrettson, you know, Garrettson possibly being a you know, a uh uh, uh a thing. You, you know, yeah, like a well a hustler. A hustler. Okay. You know, like, I can see uh, that, like yeah. on the boulevard, you know.
0: Because for people that don't know, Garrison was the young man who was staying in the guest house, which is where Rudy Altabelli sometimes also stayed, right? When he
1: literally... Right, yeah. Rudy Altabelli picked him up hitchhiking and offered him the job of staying in his house. So yeah. there's the story, you know, there's That's a lot true. of guys did that back then. You know, it was the 60s. So I think that that was their their little bit on the side, possibly. But he got pissed yeah. off at me when I brought that up. But I know that Altabelli oh. was gay. And I know that Stephen Parent was probably gay and uh and uh so yeah that's that been was one of the r-
0: r- that's been one of the stories i know they, uh, so um steven parent's family has always denied it and it's kind of a i don't know if it's fringe or what but that 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 well i mean there is the thing so Stephen parent was the first person killed as the mansons entered as tex watson and the girls entered the property he was driving out and they walked up they shot him or yes, the last—that's the story. Or possibly some people think the last. Yeah, yeah. That he tried to drive away and said, "I won't tell anybody," or something like that. And the
1: yeah, I to mean, try. that terror. I, I don't know if we talked about that, but I mean, I just want to go into this really quick. It's a yeah, fascinating yeah. story. If you didn't, if it was in the O'Neill book, the 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 Chaos book, and so, you know, the killers are the ones that say that that Stephen Parent was the first victim. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, Okay, there's the, there's your witnesses, your reputable witnesses. They say all the eyewitnesses say he was the first. Well, here's a scenario that O'Neill put out, and it was a fascinating one. They're saying that the murders were already taking place. Wojtek and Abigail Folger are already dead on the front lawn. Stephen Parent was leaving the guest house, which was at the far end of the property. He had to walk the, all the way the, through yeah, all
0: that stuff to get he out He leaves
1: there. the guest house. He gets to this part in front of the house, and he looks in and sees Sharon Tate and uh, Jay Sebring being murdered on the inside. So they say that he may have locked eyes with Tex Watson, which is terrifying, and then he took off running towards his car. So he starts his car, uh, and this is the theory. And he
0: would have had to run by two other bodies on the way out, because by then, Abigail Folger and—
1: right. Wojciech they were probably already dead, already dead. The yeah outside. they were probably it, already dead unless tex was already yeah. out in the front and you know was was stabbing boy i don't know yeah but so parent runs to his car gets in his car here's the theory now and i believe this to be true because the back of his car had uh, uh had a dent in it and from hitting the wooden fence the fence had damage and the sort of the back of his car so my and that's that's true that's just a fact So my theory, or his theory, which I agree with, is that parent got into his car, Tex is chasing him, accidentally puts his car into reverse, then hits this thing. As he's going forward, Tex comes up to him and slashes him with the knife. Now, then he gets his car into forward, gets all the way up to the gate, and that's when they stop him, and and he says, I won't say anything. Don't worry, I won't say anything. And they shoot him. So, the theory as it plays out, with you know, there's like the killers are saying, is that Stephen Parent pulls up to the gate. And says, I won't say anything. Tex Watson, slices him with a knife, then shoots him with the other hand. Nobody's ambidextrous like that. They could do something like that in a moment. So he's going to stab him and then take his gun and put him in his other hand. So it makes sense that it happened when the damage to the back of his car, which exists, it did happen, uh, that it was all done in the heat of the moment. And what he was saying was, I won't say anything because I saw something. So, and, um,
0: and Tex Watson in this scenario, Tex Watson has the knife in his hand, not the gun, because he just helped stab a bunch of people to death. Yeah. And then comes out, Stephen Parent backs into the thing and wrecks the car. Tex already has a knife in his hand, so he walks up and slashes his hand, but then he gets in the park and drives away. And Tex, is like, shit, now I gotta shoot him. Yeah. yeah. So that's when Tex switches over to the gun and runs up and, and shoots him with the Yeah.
1: Because yeah. otherwise, in the heat of the moment, he would have had to hit him with a knife and shoot him. You know, right. and that doesn't, and the, and and there's still really no explanation as to why the fence was damaged, and the damage is reflected on the back of his car. So, yeah, it's not uh, something
0: you, unless he just, just by co- biggest coincidence ever, he just happened to, as he's quietly leaving the house before the murders happen, had a little fender bender right before they came over the gate.
1: Yeah, yeah, which is, so, seems
0: unlikely. Yeah.
1: It, it was just a, the first time it was like something clicked. It was like, wow, the evidence actually points to that. The only ones yeah. who disagree were the killers
0: <laughs> or the killers. Yeah. But it also it, it doesn't make it logically. It makes more sense because uh, how do you shoot somebody multiple times in the yard of a house and then sneak into the house after that? Yeah. Like nobody heard the gunshots. And was like, what the hell is yes. that? wouldn't you at that point be like grab we just blew it we're not we've lost the element of surprise we just made. i mean i don't i don't care how much drugs you're on you're gonna know that like wait a minute we're no longer sneaking
1: yeah no yeah exactly i mean they couldn't possibly know which is why i don't believe manson went back to the crime scene later on that night because he didn't know who heard the gunshots he didn't know who was going to be up there like he's going to come sneaking around and rearrange bodies manson was a (laughs) manson was a was a you know he was he was a coward he made everybody do his dirty work he didn't want to do it so yeah. yeah, but anyway, that that just was a real revelation. So we went off way off track on that one. But that's um... all right. So
0: so after you talked to Altabelli
1: oh that yeah, was your yeah, yeah, call?
0: is that your whole call? Uh, him? Yeah,
1: I believe I wrote it down verbatim. It was very brief, but yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: I remember you called me afterwards, and you were like, "I don't ever want to talk to him again," because <laughs> <laughs> you, you're like, "Cause you're like, cause he's gay, and he got he picked it up on me, and he just started being really, you know, creepy." I guess. Yeah. with you in some way and you're like i just don't ever want to talk to him again he's like you can talk to him i don't want to so i called him
1: oh did you oh i didn't yes. know that actually so, i have no recollection
0: of that yeah so i called him and it's funny because my voice uh my uh, impression of him is the same as yours he, he goes he's, what do you want you know and i'm like <laughs> well we want to we want to put you in a you know, movie we want well, it will be a quick interview just like what you said it's like 30 minutes we just have a few questions and it's funny that he said he doesn't need money because the first thing he says well what are you paying
1: Oh yeah. I was
0: like, geez, we have no money at all. Like we're making this with zero money. And I was just like on the wheel I was just like, uh five (laughs) hundred dollars? Yeah. And he goes, What am I gonna do with that?
1: Yes. (laughs) Yes.
0: (laughs) Like, I don't know. (laughs) Buy drugs, I don't know what you're gonna do with it. Oh, and that was the that was the end of the
1: that yeah, because I, mean, so I remember like I was going to pay it out of my own pocket. I, it was going to yeah. be worth it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Five hundred yeah.
0: bucks to get that? Sure. I mean, it was a yeah. hell of a lot of money for me, especially back then. But yeah, I was like, I'll do it.
1: What do I want yeah. your damn money so What am I going to do with that? What am I going to do with five
0: hundred dollars?
1: Wow, funny the story of Rudy Altabelli. Yeah.
0: So that's why Rudy Altabelli isn't in the six series of Helter Skelter because we couldn't figure out what he wanted for it. He wanted money. He didn't want money. He wanted too much money. I don't know.
1: He wanted a bit of a bit of fun maybe i mean this
0: is the guy that sent a cleaning bill to sharon tate's dad for the murder scene so
1: true it's true we denied it but it's true i did ask him that that's yeah. right i did ask him that oh i remember how that, did that how i, do I do did react to that and he didn't he he just said it's not true that's not true hmm. but uh later on i got the actual bill <laughs> you know or the <laughs> article or something it was the article in the paper that was about the lawsuit that was filed they uh printed the yeah. bill or confirmed yeah. the bill exists yeah. or yeah
0: Because he also sued over like a breach of the uh, the lease agreement, right? Because he said that uh, Wojtek and Abigail Folger were living in the house and he wasn't notified as a landlord that there were extra tenants living there or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, That's true. They had
1: no business living there. He rented the house to two people and those other two shouldn't Mm -hmm. have. And he did say something to the effect that one of those people may have – encourage that type of element some it was worded as such that you know it was probably you know referring to voitek encouraging you know the the undesirables being up at the house because it wasn't going to be sharon you know right. and abigail folger was for no. her own you know voitek was the scumbag you know that's yeah that's,
0: but, well voitek was involved in drugs and that's where the whole drug theory yeah. came out that it was a it was a over a drug debt or something or just yeah he right? was
1: not a good man not a good man. Yeah.
0: Uh, Christina Hart, who played Patricia Krenwinkel, one of the other Manson girls, um, she is also still alive and working, and uh, has guest starred in over forty TV shows. She was in t- three episodes of Happy Days, and probably what you might but know her best from from television is she played the Roper's hot niece on Three's Company. <laughs> and that's where the one where they the ropers tell jack that their niece is coming to visit and they want her and they want mr roper wants jack to take her out on a date or take her out and show her a good time or whatever and jack is just says no because he's kind of like how how hot could the ropers niece be like look at this look at the ropers and then she shows up and she's gorgeous and of Mm -hmm. course then he's like he totally wants to take her out um so that was the whole setup for that show but yeah she was the hot niece um And she um, teaches acting classes at the Hollywood Court Theater, or at least she did until very recently. I I assume Mm -hmm. she still does. Um, But her daughters are actually also very successful actresses uh, in their own right. Uh, Caitlin and Portia Doubleday, uh, which Doubleday was the the name of of the man that Christine Hart married. Um, Caitlin Doubleday has had big roles on Nashville and Empire, like, you know— Dozens of episodes, roles. Um, And Portia Doubleday, the sister, has played, um, she played Angela Moss on Mr. Robot, which was another pretty big role. Um, Yeah,
1: I mean, she's another one, you know, Three's Company, Happy Days, Charlie's Angels, you know. (laughs) Yeah, all these guys. Yeah, all these people did that. The one thing that she did that, that I had to look it up because 'cause I'd never heard of this before. She was in ten episodes of the show of which only were ten episodes made, of a show called David Cassidy Man Undercover.
0: And it was it was
1: a David Cassidy show that he was like this detective or something and he played that that it was it was a show <laughs> <Amazing>. <laughs> thing was, i know i never heard of such a thing you was know, the so. premise
0: that david cassidy is playing himself but also playing an undercover agent
1: well i know i'd love to out. know
0: yeah it's like the most famous out. teen idol on the planet but also he's undercover
1: oh it's out on dvd too oh huh? can you believe that
0: in fact when i was in fort
1: lauderdale recently i had uh i had went to david cassidy's house and uh to, to film it for uh, or to shoot video of it for my uh Oh cool for my YouTube channel. He plays Officer Dan Shea oh, okay. uh in in this in this twenty something officer underco- operates undercover in the Los Angeles youth scene. Oh, I bet you there's some great like whiskey a go go shots <laughs> oh, and stuff gosh. like that. Seventy eight, seventy nine, I should get mm-hmm. that. That sounds interesting. <laughs> I love
0: though that in the title they had to get his name in the title even though <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's not yeah. his character's name. <laughs>
1: And Jack Cassidy was probably still alive at that. No, Jack Cassidy was dead by then. I think seventy-eight. Um, seventy-eight. Hey, yeah.
0: By the way, uh, I was watching that um, the Columbo episode that Spielberg directed that Jack Cassidy is in. Have you ever seen that?
1: I don't know. What was what was the?
0: It's one of the. It's one of the. That's like the third episode of Columbo ever made. I think Spielberg directed. It was one of his earliest directing gigs. Yeah. Um. And what's wild is it's this. Um. Uh, I think it's an author that gets murdered. So at the beginning, we're in this author's, like, high-rise office, and he's typing away on the typewriter, and we're filming out the window of this, I think it's a convertible Rolls-Royce coming down Sunset Boulevard and coming past, like you can see, I think, the Whiskey in the Distance and it's coming down, Sunset, and it pulls in. So it's actually the actual building. I mean, they filmed the real spot, and he pulls in, and he parks on the roof of the parking garage next to this building that's on Sunset Boulevard. Uh, and Jack Cassidy gets out of the car, to, and he's got a gun. You know, he's the killer. He's going to mm-hmm. go into the building. What's wild is you can see <laughs> from this viewpoint into West Hollywood where Jack Cassidy's apartment that he died in is. It's out there somewhere. I mean, I, if you really studied it, you could probably see it, but it's definitely out there in the shot. Oh, because his apartment that he died in is just off of Sunset on near Fountain in yeah. Kings Road. Yeah. You know, a block off. And, you, I mean, it's the cameras looking in that direction. So, it's definitely there in that sea of trees and apartment buildings in the distance is Jack Cassidy's death site.
1: That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. Wow. You know, that's reminiscent of that Anton Yelchin movie, you know, where he's filmed it at Hollywood forever. And they show him Ugh. walking down the street and his own grave is in the background where he's Ugh. going to be buried. It's like Crazy. How bizarre is that? But um, yeah. yeah. So um, so so Christina Hart, she said she's still alive.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Teaches acting. Nice. Good um, her. She taught she was teaching acting with her husband, who was also an actor, but he passed away a few years ago. And I think she's still doing it. And still, I think still doing some acting also in addition to being an acting teacher. Um, Kathy Payne, who played uh Leslie Van Houten, I thought she was terrifying.
1: Yes, I agree. She was good. She was really good. And I don't know if Leslie was that terrifying. (laughs) I you know, <laughs> really seriously. <laughs> she freaking
0: had the psychotic stare down, like down, and the the delivery. And she's still alive. Like Kathy Payne is. Um, she hasn't had any IMDb credits at least since ninety one. Uh, she, I think she she retired from acting and and went into uh, the financial world uh, now because it's too bad because she was freaking she was the scariest. She was scarier than Manson. <laughs> I thought.
1: Yeah, and what was it was fascinating to watch that whole courtroom. Because just the way it was demonstrated in this short movie is how exhausting they were, you know, mm-hmm. always screaming, getting up and screaming and having to be shoved out. And, you know, just like every, you know, oh. that, and the counteract that that attorney, you know, he really was that obnoxious objecting, objecting to everything to, every, to interrupt every sentence. Yeah. And those but those girls and, you know, that screaming and the, you know, it was you just know that that jury must have been so tired.
0: At the end, toward the end, they talk, they, they, re, they referenced the part, uh, Buliosi and one of his other, like, co-prosecutors or whatever on it, they mention, um, you know, finding the body of Manson's lawyer. Yes. Was that, yes. that's not the same guy that was, that played his, that was his lawyer in the, throughout the whole trial who kept objecting, right? No. Guy, con, con, like con, Irving Hughes, Conoract, his his I think Hughes? was his name.
1: He, Ronald Hughes was the guy who Buliosi got along with. But he was okay. kind of a slob, and he lived in his mother's garage or whatever. And, okay. Yeah, and he's the one that they found dead. So they, they changed some of the names in the movie. So the I actual just wonder guy if was, I,
0: I missed the part in the movie where they talked about him being missing in the first place. So I didn't know where that – I didn't understand who they were. I know who they're talking about in real life. I didn't understand if it was a character we had seen in the film at some point.
1: It was the guy – well, he was the the big guy who was talking to Buliosi and was kicked out for swearing – and oh, okay. he said, and he and he apologized to Bugliosi for for swearing in the courtroom when when mm. the judge you know got him for contempt. So he was a friendly guy. When you know he was working on the uh, on the uh, defense, uh, yeah. for mansion And uh,
0: what are your thoughts on Hughes? I mean, his whole disappearance and him being found wedged between a boulder or something like that. What was the whole story with him?
1: He was a, yeah, I think it was a flash flood that happened or something, I mean, he but was, he was, he
0: was, he, was he like an avid hiker or something. And yeah, yeah maybe got...
1: I, I didn't know much enough of it to be, to think of it very mysteriously, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't think, I mean, it, of course it looks good. And of course, when it happened, the girls are going, see, see, Charlie did it from in prison, right, you know, so, so everything got sort of, uh, was so blurry with fact and fiction back then, but it did, I mean, and also I think Billy actually played it up too. But mm-hmm. uh, I don't think it was ever ruled, uh, you know, a murder or questionable. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think he was found with a rock on top of his head either. I don't. I don't think that's true. Uh, I thought he was just
0: like wedged between a rock, which is what happens when you get caught up in a current. You, yeah. you usually get wedged into some trees or or debris or rocks and stuff. Yeah. And that's where they find you when the water. So it was a
1: coincidence, down. and I don't know if they were trying to use that to make it a mistrial or I, I don't remember. They were trying to throw that case out forever but conorak was the obnoxious one he died not that long ago who they based that that attorney on i forget who they call what they called him in the uh in the movie but they changed his name
0: (laughs) well there you go why why would they why would they do that i wonder why they did that to protect his family
1: or you know probably to to, yeah for any kind of litigation maybe they just didn't want to didn't want to the names were changed to protect the innocent. I guess they can't because they they portrayed him to be a, an obnoxious jerk, which he was.
0: Um. So Kathy Payne, who played Leslie Van Houten, um, she was also, before she retired, she was in a disaster movie, Avalanche, which was oh. just two years later, which was you yeah. know, Rock Hudson and Mia Farrow and Robert Forster. And I remember that movie being on TV once, and I walked into the room when I was a kid. My mom was watching it. And... It was like, I was the part where the avalanche is about to happen. So it's a scary thing yeah. to watch. And I, my mom said something. She turned on and saw me. She goes, don't watch this. I said, okay. She goes, it's a bad movie. <laughs> like, it's a terrible movie, but I'm watching it. But it's bad. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. Uh, yeah, I don't know what her role she had in Avalanche, but I hope she made it. I hope she survived. Oh,
1: do you know what? I just realized. Um, so we had this event in Dearly Departed Tours. Um, I forget when it was. It wasn't uh, – it was um, well, while we were still open, so it was about three years ago probably. <laughs> and three of the women who were in the Helter Skelter movie did an appearance at the shop. I just I forgot all about this to you the other That's the awesome. day. And one of them was Christina Hart, who played um, who played Patricia Krenwinkel, Barbara Mallory, who played Squeaky, and Eileen Dietz, who was an unnamed girl. She had, I think, a line in the movie, but Eileen mm-hmm. Dietz was fascinating. Eileen Dietz is the exorcist is the demon in the exorcist oh wow with the with the, with the crazy face that shows up in all those mm. bizarre scenes and eileen Dietz was one of the voices of the demon you know I've, the uh, mercedes mccambridge gets the credit but eileen Dietz was part of that too she was in uh, halloween too she was in the freeway killer she was on general hospital which is how i knew her but yeah she she was the demon in the exorcist when they show the physical demon not Linda Blair but her uh yeah. face as Eileen Dietz, and she was one of the girls. Now Christina Hart we talked about her already but Barbara Mallory who was also uh played squeaky she was in the movie Airplane she was in the Bradys the movie the show the Bradys and The Rescue from Gilligan's Island. So yeah. when I got to talk to her she goes well we know somebody in common and I I said well well, the I'll just tell you what it is. So her son was uh, was uh, Elliot Schwartz, who worked on Death Trip.
0: No kidding.
1: So her, Who's her also husband
0: Schwartz is Sherwood Schwartz's
1: right? grandson, right? So yeah. so Barbara Mallory, who played Squeaky, was married is married to uh, to Lloyd Schwartz, who is Sherwood Schwartz's son. And huh. Elliot Schwartz, who we worked with on Hollywood Death Trip for E, uh the E network, uh was she goes, Oh yeah, well you know my son. And he said, huh. You know, and I'm like, Oh yeah, That's that was wild. weird. So so there was a six degrees of Helter Skelter, quite literally, in our lives with uh with Elliot
0: Schwartz. <laughs> That's awesome. Um all right, well, uh, the actor that played Tex Watson, not much to speak of cause this was his only credit <laughs> and Tex really yeah. didn't have much of a role in the, in the move, in this movie. I don't even apparently. think he had a line,
1: did he? Are, yeah. Did just he just kind a of line?
0: appears. I don't know if he yeah. has a line, but they show him when they're talking about him, kind of a deal, like reenactment, you know? Yeah. Um, but it was played by an actor named Bill Durkin. Uh, this is the only credit that I could find on IMDb. Um, there's another Bill Durkin who has, who was an executive producer on the Coen brothers, Barton Fink. But mm-hmm. I don't think that's this guy. Who knows? I think that's now, a coincidence. He I think was, that's just he a coincidence.
1: Was, it stood out that uh that he looked about twenty years older than the others, you know. Yeah, he, he definitely mm-hmm. had a Wolfman vibe, you know, when he when they show him looking <laughs> right. at the camera. He was looking very Wolfman, but uh but yeah.
0: Um so Al Checo or Jeck che- Checo or Checho C H E C C O he played Lino Labianca. I think right. it's Al Checo, but I could be wrong. It could be Checho. Checo. Anyways. He he has a quite a heartwarming story, actually, for playing such a tragic character. Uh he had ninety-nine acting credits, another one of these guys that was in everything.
1: Yeah. All yeah. you know,
0: bit parts, supporting parts stuff. Um, it's possible that he probably the most famous thing he did was he was um during World War Two, he was partnered up with Don Knotts as a comedy duo to entertain the troops. And they did, funny. Like, they did hundreds and hundreds of live shows together for the troops during World War II. Um, Al, originally, I mean, he was a fighting age. Originally, he was in an engineering unit. He was, you know, going to be in battle or, you know, be out there in it. Um, but then it turned out he was also an exceptional, like, great performer and singer. And so they ended up saying, no, we're going to use you to entertain instead. And he teamed up with Don Knotts. And so. He ended up having uh, uncredited roles in at least three Don Knotts movies in the 60s. Uh, The Incredible Mr. Limpet, The Ghost and Mr. Chicken, and The Reluctant Astronaut. Yeah. He made appearances in, which I'm sure is because of that. And supposedly he had an autographed headshot of Don Knotts in his house that said, May our paths continue to cross. Nice. Which I think is really nice. Yeah. I didn't even Um, know
1: that uh, Don Knotts did those types of things.
0: Oh, did like the World War II stuff?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. know. I, I did not know that. But I, I do thought know he only th-
0: played a fi- I thought he only played a fish in World War II. I didn't know he actually was in World War II.
1: Well, there's another Don Knotts connection in this, if I can be so bold as to move on from this man. If you're not done with him,
0: I'm almost done with him. Okay, I'll wait. Um, there's one more story with him that I wanted to mention, and so his wife died of polio in 1955. Wow. Uh, and she was just 28 years old. She was on. She was also an actress. Um, she was on. She was touring with, I think, Oklahoma over in Europe, the Oklahoma musical in Europe, and she died from polio. Um, and he, he said that she was about to break out big when she died, and it was so devastating. They'd only been married for two years when she died, but they, he never remarried. And in 2006, when he was 84, he donated his house in Coldwater Canyon to Providence St. Joseph Medical Center in Burbank where the Acute Rehabilitation Department was renamed after him and his late wife, Jean Bradley. Wow. And, but as part of the deal, he, he was able to live in the house until he died, and then it went to the hospital. Um, I just thought that was really touching. He ended up living, for, he ended up living to be 93. <laughs> he passed away on July 19, 2015, 93 years old. He died of natural causes. But, yeah, he never remarried. I, I guess never had, had no next of kin, so he donated the house to the hospital. Uh, It was a hospital that had helped him with a lot of his health issues, too, in old age. That's
1: very interesting, yeah. yeah. he donated
0: in honor of him and his wife, who passed away when she was only 28.
1: That's something, yeah, that's very interesting. Sad, sad story. I don't, I'm trying to uh, uh, put this together in my head. Can you die suddenly of polio if you're on tour with Oklahoma?
0: That is the part I didn't quite understand. Okay. I don't see polio as being a sudden thing that hits you and you're out and you're dead, but yeah, so I don't know. When
1: you're performing in a musical. Yeah. <laughs>
0: you
1: know? So I don't know. it's just that's a, a, really good a thought. It's just a thought. I'm sure we'll hear. I'm sure we will hear. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh but yeah, that's uh, no, I didn't uh, it's it's so funny how um, these people that are, you know, just bit parts, literally an extra basically with two lines or something, you know, but yeah. they have these such interesting stories.
0: And yeah, you uh, he was in nine, he had 99 roles. He was in one of those guys who was in everything, just like mm-hmm. some of these other actors, you know? So they, yes, they were small supporting parts where he might only have one line or no lines, but you know, in the incredible Mr. Limpet, he played an uncredited sailor. <laughs> so,
1: oh, funny. Well, I guess Don brought him along, didn't he? Yeah. Um, really nice. Yeah. of Don
0: not to do that too, for his old scene partner.
1: Yeah. So the Don Knotts connection that I wanted to bring up was that the actor who played the judge, Judge Older, his name is Skill Homier Skip Hom- Homier Homier. That's how his name. Homier? yeah, Homier or Homier. Homier, um, Homier, Homier. He uh, he played he played a lot of Nazis. He did. Yeah, that was like one of his one of his things. He was in a couple of episodes of Star Trek, which people remember as a Nazi like character. And, uh, and he was in, um, yeah, he played the doc, a bacteria carrying Dr. Severin in a Star Trek episode, but people that are in like one episode of Star Trek are superstars in, in Trekkie land. you know what I mean? Yeah. But he was in the ghost of Mr. Chicken as well, but he played like the, the, the nast not the nasty, but the not very nice, lo- uh, reporter that was always dogging on Don Knotts. Uh, so he had like a lead role in, in, in the ghost of Mr. Chicken. And, uh, which is one of my all time favorite, favorite movies. And he was, he was just kind of, he had the beautiful girl and and the beautiful girl ultimately dumps him, you know, cause he was handsome and goes with uh-huh. Don Knotts. So, uh, I just didn't, when I was doing the research on this, I'm like, oh my God, that's, that's the guy I had to make sure. But he played <laughs> Ali. Ali was the character's name in the ghost of Mr. Chicken. He was sort of the uh, nemesis. If there was going to be one, I think of him, of Don Knotts. And his uh, name was yeah, Ali. But, Ali. O-L-L-I-E.
0: Oh, not Ali. Like Muhammad. No. So uh, I was going to mention this person mainly because of their career they had, which I thought was interesting, but Alan um, Alan Oppenheimer, who played Aaron Stovitz, who was the original Manson prosecutor um, before Bugliosi, correct? Um, I believe. Uh, He is still alive and working at 92 years old. And he has done a ton of high-profile cartoon voice work. Uh, he was Skeletor in Mad at arms and He-Man during the 80s, mm-hmm. during the, the mm-hmm. series. He was a character named Vanity on the Smurfs. He narrated the never-ending story. Oh, wow. He um, has appeared in three different Star Trek series, Voyager, Deep Space Nine, and The Next Generation. Okay. Um uh, and most recently, he did voice work on Toy Story 4 and the Fallout 4 video game. I mean, in, in the list, I mean, I'm just scratching the surface yeah. of all the voice work he's done. Like, major, major voice actor uh, played the, uh, Aaron Stovitz, a, a small part of the original Prosecutor.
1: Yeah, I mean I it was a it was, a it was a it was a it was a decent part for this movie. I mean he was recognizable and had a lot of lines. I mean he was he was a mm-hmm. character that you recognize. Troy knew him right away from Six Million Dollar Man, and he's like, "Oh, that's Alan Alperheimer, Six Million Dollar <laughs> Man," you know. And I yeah. knew him right away from Westworld because he he was like the right. the the guy in the control room, but he was the one that was you know like overseeing the the mechanics of the robots from the computers and. And uh, so I remember, I remember well, the
0: original Westworld, not the
1: the new good remake. one. Yeah. The old yeah. Brenner. <laughs> the old <good> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brenner was, that was a great, that was a great movie. That was a great movie. Yeah. So, uh, and also I didn't know this. He was, he was, I, I tried double checking this and triple checking it to make sure, but he played DeMille in the original musical Broadway musical of Sunset Boulevard really didn't it just it was the one the the very first one and it was you know glenn close and that whole business but but he's on the soundtrack as playing demille it was a spoken word part it wasn't really i don't think it was really any serious singing but i tried double checking is it another alan oppenheimer but mm-hmm. but it keeps going back to him so i think it was really him and he was you know he was in this musical uh for for a while he was with it wow. so it's just kind of interesting um it's just something that's incongruous
0: it's also a good reminder, you know, when we can't find someone's credits on IMDb, it doesn't mean they weren't a big Broadway success cuz yeah. IMDb doesn't carry doesn't cover theater. Mm-hmm. There's a separate database for that. So, yeah. And he's still working at 92. Go him.
1: Yeah, good for him.
0: Hey, if you do what you love, you know?
1: It, I mean, all these people, I'd love to talk to these people, but I got nothing to say, though, man. What was it like being a Helter Skelter, you know what I mean? What are you gonna, but, uh, but it'd be so cool to get their, uh, get their, you know, just, you're you. Oh, my gosh, it's so cool.
0: That's, I remember one of the first celebrity encounters I ever had was I went to, I was, in, I was just out of college, and I went the improv in Tempe, Arizona, and Pauly Shore, we went to see Polly Shore yeah. stand up. And he stuck around afterwards to sign tickets or whatever to meet people. And he was like sitting at a table and I stood in line and I got up there and I'd never done that before. And I just yeah. looked at him and I just, and he looked at me like expecting me to say something and I had nothing to say. <laughs> because basically that I was like, you're you. Yeah. Here, yeah. Here's ticket. Yeah. You sign. I don't know. I don't know what I was supposed to say here. <laughs> oh my God, Love Z your Paulie show. Short. You're so funny. Like, I don't know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah it is it's getting dumbfounded in front of people is funny
0: he he was uh touring at the time he said the financed a movie i think it was the in the Ar- in the army now the movie that he was in that he was self funding i guess by touring oh I
1: would say I can't you know. see that being yeah. a big studio production
0: it was po <laughs> it was just it was post you know his boom of his career that happened in like the late nineties when he was like Encino Man and the weasel all that stuff yeah there. uh do you have anybody else? Well, it was you know, one of the if we
1: talked. Rudy Ramos was Donkey Dan, uh Danny DiCarlo. He was in Resurrection Boulevard. He's still alive, but he was in Road Dogs with Steve Rail's bag. He was in Quicksilver and Colors with Sean Penn. Beverly Hills Cop too. So he's still around. Um uh, I was I I did I didn't get the name of the actor who played Bill Tennant, the one who vomited. That would have been. Um, oh, that was,
0: played the, that, the, the 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 business, the manager of Polanski, who I used yeah, the
1: bodies. Did, you know, it was it was so it was that was bad acting too. <laughs> did he really? Give did me, it, did he really? Did that happen in real life
0: though? Did he really run out? Yeah, of he did. Lieutenant
1: did puke. Yeah, yeah, I would. Yeah. You know when he identified his friends that that would yeah. have been terrible but it was just a in retrospect the 50 years later you were kind of like okay that's a bit hokey it looks he's obviously puking out cream corn or something and you know but uh <laughs> right. but it's like he, he goes i want you to look at her and he goes i can't i can't and he goes no look <laughs> and it was you know showing his friends corpses like you couldn't tell who abigail folger was from behind anyway because of the you know the hair and all that stuff i mean who else is it going to be and he's but it was just it was just kind of kind of funny but uh I want you to look at her. Um I was there was a couple of things that I that I pointed out that I thought were kind of funny, only in retrospect, because okay. we know the we know what the door looks like and how how it had the word pig written on it. And in this one yeah. it was it's a little tiny. It <laughs> looked know? like it was written in lipstick. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And the refrigerator is at Helter Skelter. It was probably ketchup or something. It looked like pretty bad too. Um when they were showing the murder weapons and they were showed they showed the rope. Uh, in the, in the courthouse and Billy just picks up the bloody rope with his bare hands and just, you know, walks around the courtroom <laughs> with this thing, you know, it's like real DNA on this and real blood. And it's like no gloves yeah. or anything like that. That was kind of funny. Some of the things that were kind of interesting is how they, they dramatized the people that were, uh, that were involved, like the Cots family who were living, you know, right outside the gates of Cielo drive who were out there with their drinks in their hands. And they were like, <laughs> Oh, <laughs> sounded like a gunshot. I'm sure it's nothing. Let's go in. Let's <laughs> you know, that bed. kind of a thing. And it was like right outside their door. But that's basically what really happened. And uh and there was um the the other thing was when they they showed the uh the Weiss couple watching it on the news. And Jerry Dumpy, the newscaster, was was the newscaster. Famous LA newscaster was the played the newscaster in the uh in the movie, the movie announcing yeah. there's no there's been no developments in the murder that have, you know, captivated, you know, or terrified the city. And then I just love the the dialogue. That sounds like the gun Stevie found had broken <laughs> grip, didn't it? Oh, they must know it's there. <laughs> you know, kind of. But they must know they have that. It was it was just sort of comical because yeah. you know. But uh, but anyway, I think that I think that we've covered it. It there was an odd there was that odd moment in the movie of Spawn Ranch when they pulled when they were arresting everybody and they pulled Manson out from underneath that house. D- did you do you remember the lady in a chicken coop?
0: Yes. What was that?
1: I don't know that what was that like, was about. Why was it? And they were I've like something like about... she lives
0: there or something like yeah. that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it was the weirdest thing. She was living in a chicken coop with chickens. And it was like that was that was an odd odd I've never read about that reference. They've been pretty accurate with most of the other stuff that they portrayed. The lady mm-hmm. living in the chicken coop wasn't quite <laughs> what I remember at all. <laughs> but uh the point that, that makes the point that was important to make the Vincent Bugliosi, say what you will about the man in life, they had no responsibility to prove a motive. They, had, they did not have to prove why anyone did anything. They wanted to prove that they did it. So everyone is talking about, you know, he's full of crap, all this Hilda Skelter BS. Yeah, it may have been BS, but his job was not to to prove a motive. It was their job, his job was to prove they did it, and he right. did so that that I will always defend him. I have a lot of respect for him. Um you know questionable behavior as a human being. Okay, fine. I knew his wife, not didn't know her, but I met her. I liked her. Her his wife actually Gail Buliosi, used to play cards in the Playboy Mansion and with with the secretary huh. uh with he and she recognized me from the girls next door mrs buliosi oh, did because i went and introduced myself to him at one of those signings and uh and then and she goes you were on you know uh, my friend mary is the secretary at playboy i, I saw wow. you in that episode it was kind of cool mrs buliosi knew who i was that is cool <laughs> it was wild it was wild but yeah that's the thing you say what you will about the man as a human being i don't really care there's a lot of people that were great actors that were horrible human beings john Phillips, a terrible human being, but amazing musician, and wrote some incredible songs. So you know, California Dreaming, the Mamas and the Papas—you can't discount his talent. And I can certain things I can't, like I can't listen to Michael Jackson anymore for some reason. I just I, t- I see it, and yeah. I, I listen to, it and I turn it off. It's, it's whatever whatever floats your boat. There's no, yeah, no, you know, you can't help what you like and what you don't like. And buliosi did a good job, and he didn't have to do anything else. Yeah. And that's all I got.
0: Well, thank you again, everybody. I think this has been another epic, epic podcast episode of Dearly Departed Podcast, uh, talking about probably arguably our, our favorite story.
1: Yeah, talk and I think, our uh, once again, our podcast probably lasted longer than the movie. No, it was actually three hours, I think. Three no, hours we didn't so, quite so. go
0: that long, no. <laughs> <laughs> for once. For once. <laughs> See, we need to do three-hour movies, and then we will all, we'll never be longer than the actual movie that we're talking about.
1: I just love this movie, and there's so many people that are, you know, there's so many people that had so many interesting credits. Not jump up and down, oh, my God, I remember them credits, but they, they're all part of... Hollywood in the 70s, you know, the, the fabric 80s.
0: of TV and movies in Hollywood. In the 70s, yeah. yeah. And,
1: and the best. Yeah. The best kind the best era of television. I think the 70s and the 80s. Mm. I, uh, I do love that. But uh, but yeah. So thank you guys for watching.
0: Thank you very much. And um, also just a heads up that uh, our Patreon supporters, the five dollar a month ones, uh, got to hear this episode a day or two early um and uh and and even the the there's $5 tier and there's the $2 tier um what's the $2 one gets still gets you the um the extra episodes that we do between these main ones um, and that Patreon really does help support the pod and help us keep going. So yeah. um, dearly departed podcast over at Patreon, uh, look us up yeah. and please. I'll uh, put a support. link under
1: the video. And again, I'll say this again, you know, not to confuse what I, what I do with my YouTube channel, my YouTube channel is something that's different than this. The dearly departed yeah. podcast is an independent thing that Mike and yeah. I both do. And the so the dearly departed podcast Patreon page will be underneath this on the video and, YouTube, um, yeah. and, uh, and also you get that close to a 90 minute episode, you know, donate two bucks a month and you get like almost a 90 minute episode of, yeah. of just exclusive for Patreons. It's the mini episode of all the obituaries.
0: We talk about all the current events and, and, and people have just passed away and their stories and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Which we used to do on this show, but the, it just made the shows too long. But also it's great because we can, um, we can talk more about it, those than we would have when they were at the front of the show. Mm-hmm. You know, we literally yeah. talk like twice as much about them now as we, as we used to. So it's yeah. cool. It's more Scott and Mike hang time. Um, yeah. well, I I mean, let's t- start with the final death. Vincent Buliosi uh, died Jan- June 6th, 2015. Uh, he was 80 years old and he died from cancer.
1: Did I tell you about my first encounter with him? Did I tell you this story about him calling know. me up on the phone? I was no. interviewed for the l a daily news about the about the um Menendez house, and we were in the paper Graveline that's when I was working for Graveline tours yeah and I was quoted in the paper i said our 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 most uh most requested stop was the Tate house, and then now that that's mm. destroyed, it's now the Menendez house, so this would have been january of ninety four uh that yeah. I just moved here, so it was a Sunday night and my and the dearly departed or the uh graveline phone rings it's in my house. And I pick it up and he goes, uh, Scott Michaels there speaking. This is Vince Bugliosi. I just laughed out loud. Oh I go, no, really. No, really. Who is this? And then he goes, no, it's me. I, I, I read your article in the paper, your quote about the Tate House being destroyed. And uh, I wanted to know more about it. So we just talked for, he said he's working on a 25th anniversary edition of the book Helter Skelter, which ultimately came out. And um, and so he just wanted to verify that it was indeed you know, torn down gone. Yeah. And, uh, and that was, that was just the end of it. And I said, no, no, no one is going to believe this. <laughs> and I said, will you please like, can I have a note or something from you just saying uh, <laughs> that it was actually you on the phone. And he sent me a nice little letter saying, you know, it was a pleasure talking to you or, or something like That's that. That's awesome. But, but it was cool. I was like, this is Vincent Buleosi. Like, I'm like, no, it's not. Who is yeah, right. this? <laughs> Somebody's messing with me. Like anyone would even know, you know, but I am of
0: all people. Yeah.
1: I liked him. He was always nice to me. So there you are.
0: Um, And if you don't know the story about the house getting torn down, uh, one of the last people, Alta Belli owned it until he sold it. He owned it and lived in it off and on for years afterwards, right? And then at the end, right before it, was torn down, um, Trent Reznor and Nine Inch Nails recorded, I believe it was Downward Spiral, or they recorded in the living room where the murders mm-hmm. happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's video, in, which is in Six degrees of Helter Skelter, of that setup with the big soundboard in there and everything, the mixing boards and everything. And, uh, and then when Reznor moved out, he, he learned that it was going to be torn down, which means he would be the last tenant there. And so he took the pig door with him. Um, the front door that had Sharon Tate's blood written, in, in, the word pig written in her blood. Uh, of course, the blood had been cleaned up, but the door was still there. And so he took the door and supposedly it ended up in his, uh, as a door in his recording studio in New Orleans for a mm-hmm. time. And then I think at it, it, last I heard was it was in storage. Now. So well, it, it, was, still exists. it was,
1: yeah, when the building was sold, the door was taken off of it and put in the basement of the building. We went to New Orleans and and, and looked for it. And uh it turns out that the, I guess it was a, a plastic surgeon that bought the place or, and was operating out of it and had this thing in the basement and somebody approached them and asked if they if they wanted it because Resner turned his back on the whole true crime thing you know he he was embarrassed and he, you know he felt sad, so he yeah he said he,
0: he regretted later on that he felt yeah. he was insensitive he realized looking back it was insensitive for him to record an album there or to exploit that or whatever word you want to use for it, but yeah
1: yeah, I mean, just own what you did for God's sake, but. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so he left the door behind but it does belong to an artist now who has it in his home and he's going to he said to me that he was going to put it in a place so you'll be able to see it from the street so people will be able to see it but yet, yeah, it'll be part of his art collection and you know i really want to protect it from the elements him. so it's not an outdoor yeah. door yeah there if there's one one artifact i would love for my museum it would be that and yeah. i was like somebody approached me probably Fifteen, well, probably like twenty years ago now, saying, you know, I, I, I know who has the door. Are you interested? And I was like, well, of course I am. And you go, what's your starting point? And I'm like, yeah. I'm not playing this game. I said, I'll give you five hundred bucks for it. And I never heard from the person <laughs> again because I'm <laughs> not going to get that. in a bidding war. I figure if it's going to end up in my possession, which I think belongs, sort of, in this, you know, because I'm, I'm not totally I'm not financially motivated. I think that I could, you know, show this thing as bit of history, anyway. Talk to the guy, really nice guy, and I'm glad it's in a safe place and I hope one day yeah. it does show up and end up being part of uh the collection of the dearly part of museum. I really do, but in the meantime yeah. i'm 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 comfortable with where it is. I think it's cool the guy's a nice guy and good for him yeah
0: that's cool,
1: yeah, so anyway, that's it.
0: All right, guys, thanks a lot for listening, and um, we don't know oh, what our next is- show is going to be yet, but uh, again, we're on Spreaker now on iHeartRadio, so that's our home home base now, but you'll still be able to get us on iTunes and uh, Spotify and all those other places that we've always been at. And I think when you'll I'm- still get us on, maybe on Podbean, like forwarded over there, I think, our RSS our, our feed.
1: Uh, one other thing I want to mention, because we've been talking about this for hours now, the day this is the day this ep, this this episode is officially becoming public for everyone to wa- listen to, is the day the murders happened fifty three years ago. The tape and night, yeah. we we've been talking all about these people and the and and everything about the the hoopla after it and all these people actors and ultimately there are seven people that are dead because of this you know real people that right. were killed and um. I don't, I can't even talk about their names right now because I probably wouldn't make it. But, but I just, it's so important that these seven people not be forgotten and not because they're part of pop culture. Yeah. They are. That's why we know them. But those seven people have names and, and it's hard for me to say them when you're trying to get, you know, serious yeah. about it because I get I get caught up in it and I get emotional. But but it's important. Those seven people uh lost their lives and ultimately that's the truth of all of this. And what's yeah. happened in fifty three years is is extraordinary. But don't ever forget those seven people.
0: Yeah. And with that, we'll see okay. you next time. Good night. This has been an episode of the Dearly Departed Podcast. Dig up more episodes at dearlydepartedpod.com and on iTunes and Google Play. See you next time. <laughs>